We're happy to have you with us this evening and want you to enjoy every minute of your stay here. Listen to me. Please listen. If you don't, if you won't, if you fail to understand, then the same incredible terror that's menacing me will strike at you! Are you ready to enter this sci-fi double feature drive-in? On every first and third Thursday of the month, your host, the conspiracy-loving Elisa, and yours truly, Jarrett the Kaiju Man Waglin, pick a very radioactive, a very out-of-this-world double feature, and discuss two movies featuring giant monsters, little monsters, genetic abominations, robots gone awry, aliens attacking Earth, and everything in between. Then join us in the underground on every second and fourth Thursday as we look to shed some light on the unknown of this world and worlds beyond with our series, The Drive-In Underground. Classified case files are presented featuring UFOs, cryptids, and everything unknown. So join us and don't forget to stop by our snack bar first. I'm April and I'm Steph and you're listening to The Thirst this is our podcast about pop culture in it we talk about news documentaries I'm trying I'm just I'm just films mixing it up books music other random things television television other podcasts pop Um, culture pop culture you can find us online we're on twitter at the thirst soundcloud.com forward slash the thirst pod itunes you can search for us the thirst instagram we're at the thirst pod and if you want to email us for any reason you can do it's the thirst pod at gmail.com we also have our tumblr as well which is the thirst pod.tumblr.com which i haven't how's that gary nate i haven't updated it recently but i will it's on my to-do list. You should look at the archive. It's wonderful. It's a really great archive going on there. Um, thanks to everyone who's downloaded our um, episode so far, told their friends, subscribed. Um, if you want to leave us some reviews on iTunes, please do. Reviews are nice and are an ego boost. And It does make me feel better about it. does make game. me feel better about everything. So I can review you back. <laughs> PC for PC. Um, this is episode 16. Sweet 16! Mine was sweet oh. 16 as well. Do you... Our podcast is a teenager. Oh my God. We, we could throw it an outlandish party. We can our podcast can buy cigarettes can you do that is it 16 anymore? i think it's 16 in the uk oh. yeah what else can Can't you do, do it can have consensual sex consensual, can probably buy a knife or yeah. something buy um, some paracetamol buy some paracetamol if you have a headache <laughs> you can sort you can't do anything out. in america though. did you um ever watch my super sweet I 16 did, yeah what, can you remember any good episodes? Rihanna. The Rihanna episode. The Rihanna, yeah, the Rihanna, Rihanna Coming episode. to America episode. I also Crazy. remember the one where it was a special one where the girl, I think she had terminal cancer and oh, no, the guy nice. from Census Fail and My Chemical oh Romance my played. <laughs> yeah. That was like my dream. Why They always got a car. Every time it would be like, what's your surprise? It's a car outside. That is like weird, isn't it? a big bow it? on the top. It would be like a Range Rover or something. <laughs> yeah, with a la- lovely bow. That never It'd be happened white, always to any- white. Oh, yeah. Never happened to anyone I knew. No, you'd get like a Dell Boy three-wheeler for like... Might get a moped. Yeah. You can't drive in the UK until you're 17 anyway. So. No, that's What true. did you get for your 16th birthday? Oh, Do you God, remember? no. I remember I had like a... I think I had like a tea party. I think I had a. Because I was well into like Kooky Alice in Wonderland. I can't remember if I went to the Waffle House or if I had a fancy dress party. Either way, it was probably really embarrassing because I was 16 years old. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs>
let's just jump straight into news. It feels really funny doing this because what's the date today? It's the twenty fifth of March. We've had a. It was. It's been a busy month. We haven't it's been had... really busy. A bit of a hiatus. So um, the Oscars happened. That was Quite a thing. A ago. The fourth of March. Um, I've just got some things of note. I want to talk? We were saying earlier that um, we when we had to when we were doing our homework for the pod. Yes, my we were, podcast homework. We were trying to think about things that had happened at the Oscars, and then we just realised that actually it was quite nothing boring. The, the Oscars were actually... And I kept thinking of stuff. And being like, oh, no, that was the Golden Globes. Yeah, that's the same as me. It's because it was like the first Oscars post-Weinstein. And it, I guess with the Golden Globes had already happened and that had been like a that big was the, the Time's Up yeah. thing there. So the Oscars did feel a bit like, I don't know, a bit flat. But I've written it's some a, things that I wanted to just mention. Take me through them. Um, James Ivory, the, uh, the uh, screenwriter, wore a, t- a shirt, sorry, a T-shirt, not wore a T-shirt, wore a lovely shirt that, which With had um, Timothy Chalamet's face painted on it. Where um, can we buy this shirt? James Ivory also won for Best Adapted Screenplay for Call Me By Your did, Name. Which was well deserved. That was nice, wasn't it? Was. it? Um, by the way, that was the floorboard. It's the floorboard in my in my spare room. Steph doesn't have wind. Um, <laughs> Jordan Peele also won for best original screenplay for Get Out. Um, he was I the first. If, yeah, I guess is allowed. Yeah, it's the first uh, black uh, screenwriter to do so. Yeah. Um, he also his tweet, which was "I just won an Oscar." What the fuck was the most oh. retweeted post of the night? I'm glad that he won. So good. We talked about it when we did our sort of like preview of the Oscars. Um, we said that we'd like either him or Greta Gerwig mm-hmm. to win for Lady Bird, and yes. I'm glad that. Um, it was Jordan as long Hill, as it was one of those two, yeah I absolutely I mean, it he was t- going to feel very justified he talked about how you know how he was just amazed that he even got to make the film because no one wanted to make it um, and he sort of dedicated to, it to everyone who'd raised his voice and let him make the movie which I thought was very Aww. sweet um, Roger Deakins won Best Cinematographer for Blade Runner th- also we wanted that we yeah. wanted that after he'd been nominated 14 times well done Rog he looked like one of the Rolling Stones though did you see a picture no. of him he just looked like someone's dad oh like super like super London chill like older gentleman proper Mick Jagger then yeah proper um, Frances McDormand obviously won for uh, Three mm-hmm. Billboards um, and she made quite the impact by mentioning she was the sort of s- the speech of the awards ceremony yeah ev- I suppose everyone anticipated it because she'd been sort of doing kind of big you know impactful speeches at other awards mm-hmm. ceremonies and she mentioned the inclusion rider in her speech which had everyone um googling and wikipediaing it i'm going what the hell is that apparently it's an inclusion rider or an mm. equity rider is a provision added to a contract of an actor to ensure that casting and production staff meet certain levels of diversity for example regarding the inclusion of women people of color lgbtq people and people with disabilities so which is great. That's a great. That should just be a thing. So. I thought it was going to be the stuff that you wanted in your green room. Oh, like, like a band what rider. Chips you like want. oh, I'd like some hummus. Yeah, and some like this is the stuff. This is baseline stuff that has to be included <laughs> in my rider. What would be on your rider? Um, salt and vinegar chip sticks. Yeah, mine be got coffee, orange squash, maybe some ice cream. I think it would depend. Ben and Jerry's. Yeah, the I'd vegan. probably have fish food. Oh, good shout. Yeah, but definitely chipsticks chip with sticks. a variety of dips to dip them in. Oh, yeah, like an array of, of like, dips. Mm. Stuffed, uh, I could talk about this forever. Those <laughs> those little stuffed uh, tomato sweet pepper things. Oh, they're really with, nice. like, just cream cheese yeah. in them. Mom, I'd have olives. Nom, nom, nom. I'd Lots just of have crudités mm. and, like, Ooh, snacky bits. Crudités. Tortilla cold, chips. Cold plate. Cold plate of things. Yeah, because it would be like fake meat for me, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. A, mm. co- a cold plate of fake toast. Salami. A toast bar. Toast bar with barmite. Yeah. And peanut butter. Some squash. Peanut butter. A selection of squashes. Yes. All Robinsons. 
Or Grimson's. <laughs> Only the finest. Only the finest. Um, also, I have. Anyway, this is probably not what Frances McDormand was getting at. Um, no, sorry, we've completely... That that wasn't her point at all. But good for her for mentioning it. Yeah. Um, Emma Stone tried to do a Natalie Portman... And she, when she announced the Best Director yeah, nominations, she it? said, these four men and Greta Gerwig, which, fine. It's to not make the same, a, though, but, is it? That's but, just stealing someone else's. Yeah, but also I just feel like it's, it's for me, it just felt like a way a way to harsh on Jordan Peele, who's only the fifth black director to be nominated. <laughs> so, like... like yes, gender is, is a thing, but so is race yeah, and he's, disability Yeah, okay, he's a man, but also, like, his nomination is still just as sort of... Yeah. You know, a bigger deal as Greta being nominated. So that, that felt weird. Backfired. Um, most importantly, um, the thing I've got written at the end here is Army Hammer wore a burgundy red oh, velvet God. suit and Timothy wore all white with black boots. I I just... We'll come on to this later, but I'm, I'm struggling again. The awards season was great for, for <sighs> wonderful Hammer and Chalamet lovely, content. Lovely I'm sad it's over. Um, also, Del Toro double-checked the envelope for Best Picture. Oh, he did, didn't he? To make he? sure. <laughs> Just to make there sure. There were a few like references to um, last year's um, mess-up. Um, I'd like to point out that the only thing that we were wrong on when it came to our nominations Good. was Best Original Score and Best Song. Um, we'd said that we thought it'd go to Hans Zimmer for Dunkirk. The score actually went to Alexander Desplat for Shape of Water. And best song, um, oh, we sorry. wanted it to go to Sufjan, but it went to yeah. the song from Coco, which is fine. I mean, but, I haven't seen it. No, but I also, also I just feel like that's incredibly atypical of how the Oscars felt a little bit predictable this year. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. I always feel like it's sort of the one that's meant to be like finishing off awards season, but they're also by... By the time you get to that point, nothing's really a surprise. No. Oh, Shape of Water won everything. Yeah. Oh, Which, that's, that's fine. You know. That is fine. I mean, there wasn't a bad no. film oh, on that I also, picture list, so no. it's good. But yeah. it wasn't where I preferred. No. Also, Sam Rockwell um, dedicated his award to... Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was very sweet. That was very sweet. Saw that. And Meryl Streep did her meme scream. Oh, my God. She did her meme scream, yeah. didn't she? She re... re- <laughs> Rememed herself. Rememed. <laughs> Mememed. Rememed herself. Rememed. Do you reckon she's aware of it? Yeah, hundred. Well, imagine if she wasn't April. Maybe if she just. That's did just that. how she shouts. That's just how she, she just sh- shouts like that, and everyone's like. Meryl. I had assumed that she was doing it deliberately, but the idea that she did it without realizing that she was mimicking her meme, which is a great sentence. Did you also see the Jennifer Garner thing where she's like clapping and she has a realization? No, have you not seen that? There's a, there was a shot at the Oscars where Jennifer Garner was clapping something and then that she's sort of just clapping and then she gets a look on her face which is so deep in thought like she's remembered she's like left the oven or Oh no, I have something. seen like, that, yes. Huh. That reminds me, was it Nicole Kidman? Somewhere else did a weird clap. She, last year she with had the weird, <laughs> with her long fingers. I don't know if that's real but it creeps me out. <laughs> Poor Nicole Kidman. Poor Nicole Kidman. <laughs> Other extremely important news is... Um, ben Affleck's shit back tattoo. So I've got it up on the screen. It's here, real. It? Oh, let's have a look. I've just got oh, it here so we can look at it. So Phoenix talking of, rising from the ashes. Talking of Jennifer Garner, um, paparazzi photos emerged this week of Ben Affleck on a beach in Hawaii where he's about to begin filming uh, Triple Frontier, which stars. Now, brace yourself. Okay. Oscar Isaac, oh. Garrett Hedlund, Pedro Pascal, Charlie Hunnam. 
God's sake. Charlie Hunnam, though. The thing that's confusing for weird. me is that I feel like Charlie Hunnam and Garrett Hedlund look exactly the same. So they just wanted to. So it's just funny. And also, I just would, I'm very glad that Oscar Isaac and Pedro Pascal are in a film together. They're besties in real life. Oh, so does it make you sad that Ben Affleck's going to be in it? Massively sad. No one really sad. likes Ben Affleck. Don't, don't care for him in 2018. I do care for his back tattoo. So in the photos, um, you can see this awful, he's on a beach, <laughs> relaxing, and he's sort of toweling himself down. Gross. Um, it is and you can see his awful back tattoo. Now, this is incredibly interesting because in 2016, um, this is not the first time it's been papped, um, photos had emerged of him on a set in which it was visible. So this back tattoo was there. And, but and then it's in, not a small back tattoo. No, it's a whole back it piece. It is his entire back. Um, and in, in an interview, he was asked about it. Mario Lopez um, it was interviewing him and Ben Affleck denied it, right? He said it wasn't real, but it was for a film role. He, this is a it's quote. It's such a weird it thing said, to do. Affleck confirmed the Phoenix taking flight tattoo was fake for a movie, adding, I do actually have a number of tattoos, but I try to have them in places where you don't have to do a lot of cover up. They get sort of addictive tattoos after a while. So he's denied it's real, right? But it was first spotted a year before that. Yeah, absolutely. And then in 2016 as well, um, there was a big Vanity Fair article with Jennifer Garner. Oh my so God, his yeah, ex. This is so post. good. And this is, I mean, that interview in itself is just a joy to read anyway. Is this her ripping the piss it's out It's like the year of wine. She talks yeah. about how she's just been drunk for a year. Um, mm-hmm. So this, this is the quote. It's it says, she's asked like, about it. And she says, you know what we would say in my hometown about that? Bless his heart. A phoenix riding, rising from the ashes. Am I the ashes in this scenario? I take umbrage, she added. I, I refuse, refuse to be, be the ashes. ashes. <laughs> it's so, so shit. It's like, it's like the world's worst uh, tribute to J.K. Rowling ever. <laughs> it does look like Forks from, it that, does. from Harry Potter. I, mean, um, I like that Sarah Jessica Parker liked the Instagram post of it that was taking the piss out of it. Like, everyone is finding this... It is like... I mean, there was some an art- stuff ages badly, right? But I mean, that just began bad. I just don't get it. Like, there was an article on L, and I will link to this when I do our sort of roundup of stuff, where it's basically they get an, a tattoo artist, an actual qualified person, oh, no. to kind of decode the, the tattoo and all of the history around who it. Who does this? <laughs> but who, right? So, Ben Affleck multi-millionaire like he's a guy why do celebrities get the shittest tattoos I have such issues with this Tom Hardy why 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 do you specifically go for like the world's crummiest tattoos the only people the only only person I can think of that I know that has legit tattoos is Ewan McGregor gets tattooed by Kat Von D so his stuff is like Pretty Can you cool. imagine them two hanging out? I don't even want to think about oh, it. Yeah. Imagine if they'd had an affair. Anyway, oh my God. Um, why do people? Why though? They've got all the why? money in the world, yeah. and they just get really shitty tattoos. We get tattooed. Yeah. I mean, speaking as someone who gets tattooed like re- regularly on the regs, and I'm I'm not rich. No. And also, I mean, I've and got, I don't think I've my got some I might shit. somewhat regret, but I don't. I have a phoenix on my back. You don't have a huge phoenix back tattoo. No, that literally, it's so colourful. It's as just well. really. I'm confusing. just leaning in, looking at the picture. That's why I'm suddenly a bit louder. But so, there's so much blue. It's just. Shall I zoom in? Orange, in this lovely image. So it's and it just, goes like fully down on the ass, doesn't it? It's. Do you reckon it's on his bum? Yeah. And is that like a like a peacock feather? A well. Yeah, a it feather. is a pe. Well, no, it's peacock, isn't it? Yeah. So I why is the thing that's got a and there's this bit up here which it's looks like a moon, so but it's not dog shit. But it also looks like a dragon. I don't know. It's, it's like so... a dragon phoenix. Who did made of this rain? To him? It basically looks like um, a textile poster that you put on a wall <laughs> that you bought from like a hippie fair. He paid for this, um, or a dream catcher. He paid money for that. I Maybe mean, it was a freebie. Granted, people might look at tattoos that you or I have and go like, "Oh, that's shit," because it's not. I wouldn't get an alien spaceship. 
but, but like why that is dog shit i'm not having anyone tell me otherwise that's weird isn't it yeah. so there you go we'll, we'll link the picture in conclusion we should set up a company in which we like you know how airbnb puts you in touch with places you want to yeah. stay we should have a company that tells rich people where to get tattooed, tattooed. because there like are people who do they not know how got... to use instagram i just think they don't have eyeballs it's... is it because it's on his back he didn't realize until it was too late but that's a lot of time, though. Like a friend see, called in a favour. The thing is, though, like from, from a point of view of like how long it takes, that's not like a flash in the pan. Like that is quick, hours worth of work. That's like which point multiple did he think settings. I should stop. I mean, he's had a lot he of issues. Maybe maybe he was off his tits and he got it. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it, we will link to it. Um, don't do crack and get tattooed. Just don't be drunk and get tattooed when you're Ben Affleck and you're someone who people want to take pictures of. What God knows doing? why. This isn't going to help him, is it? No. So we talked... Did we talk last time about how Chris Hemsworth... the time before, maybe. Okay, we talked briefly before about how Chris Hemsworth isn't going to be Thor anymore. Well, in other MCU <laughs> news... It's um, going well. Chris Evans has also announced that he's leaving. <laughs> Goodbye, Chris. Um, there was a New York Times profile written in support of his um, recent stint on Broadway. Um, he's doing a Kenneth Lonergan play. Got a lovely, lovely tash mm-hmm. at the moment. That is... I mean, it's it's a proper, like, broom tash, isn't it? I'm into it. I'm how sorry. do you feel? Are you into it? Mm, yeah. Mm. You can do no wrong in my eyes. I um, don't mind, like, a little tash. I wasn't because it's quite big and bushy. I just feel like it looks like a Daniel Day Lewis tash. Yeah, it's probably why I'm into it. Probably why, yeah. Oh, that's he's tattooed. He's got tattoos. Quick, quick sidebar. Oh yeah, sidebar. So that was the thing. Daniel Day Lewis has got some like he's proper sailor tattoos. He's got ink, right? He's he's a he's an inked guy. Anyway, he's actually hot. He's actually hot. Um, so back to Chris Evans. He um, so in this New York Times profile, um, he alluded to the fact that Infinity War and the following Avengers film, which comes out next year, are the last MCU bits he appears in. Um, it's a quote here. It says, um, "Last year he filmed back to back the two final Marvel movies for which he's under contract. Um, for now, he has no plans to return to the franchise." Evans says, you want to get off the train before they push you. And he expects that planned reshoots in the fall will mark the end of his tenure in the familiar red, white and blue uh, super suit. Um, there had been speculation after the trailer for Infinity War, the most recent one dropped a few weeks ago, mm. um, that he, that Captain America would be one of the film's major deaths. Um, that may not be the case, but he's definitely leaving. Um, this makes me sad. <laughs> Sorry, it, re- it sounded like you were just reading that from your bullet point list then. <laughs> no, it makes me In sad. In conclusion. It but makes I me just so don't sad. know how literally to take it anymore. Because they say that Chris Hemsworth's leaving and it's like, are you though? Are you leaving? Who's really leaving? We talked before about the phases of Marvel, mm-hmm. right? And um, this they are venturing more into phase... Is phase three over in the site of phase four? I have no idea. Anyway, I'm not surprised... At least he's got the sense to do it. I feel like Robert Downey Jr., who's like nearly 50, needs to jump Dude off needs the... needs to jump off the train. Jump off the himself. train. So good for Chris Evans. I mean... You you get out when you're ready. I we, Can you still be friends with Chris Hemsworth? Yeah, I hope they do things together yeah. in the future. Um, this God, They're ju- all part of the same universe, aren't they? <laughs> what a joy. Wonderful. Um There was, in the, in the, the Times profile as well... Um, I, I mean I love Chris Evans. That's we had we've had this discussion multiple Do times you? before. Yeah. Um, he's your top ranking Chris, right? He is my favourite Chris. Mm-hmm. Um I just like how he's just really aware of I don't know, his position. There was a quote where he talks about um so the play that he's in at the moment talks about gender and inequality and distribution of power and blah blah. So it talks about the fact that like that those are obviously themes that are like very um in the industry that he works you know the film industry and i just like the idea of 
like Chris Evans becoming socially aware, like trying to better himself. It says, the actor, he said he didn't base his performance on anyone in particular. It's awful to admit, but I know plenty of guys who fit this mould. He's been studying how to better conduct himself as an ally to women in his profession. What, like by reading a book? Oh, yes. I just, this makes me die. Oh, no, is he actually? One book he found eye-opening. One book he found eye-opening was Rebecca Solnit's *The Mother of All Questions*. Mr. Evans read it while dating the actress Mr. Jenny Slate. Their on again, off yes. again relationship, beloved by the internet, recently ended. Done so. And decided that he needed to listen more and speak less. The hardest thing to reconcile is that just because you have good intentions doesn't mean it's your time to have a voice, he said. Yes, Chris Evans. That's so true, Chris. You get it. You and Jenny, though, that's on and off and on this and off. This made me and... so sad. I just love them as a thing, and I think I'm bummed. I wonder why it's not working, though. Oh, they're just so different. They're just such different people. Maybe he's spending too much time studying. He's just being too, too many studious. Ti- too much time reading books about he's women. Too not enough time speaking to them. He's just too woke. He's she can't handle woke. it. So... Chris Evans is leaving the MCU, which makes me sad. And he'll then he'll hang around. He'll be around though. Maybe he'll be in something else in a uniform. I hope so. With a big tash and beard and bit oh, beard. beard cap. Beard cap. Um, finally, on the news front, just something I would quickly like to touch upon. So Drew Barrymore. Yeah, well, she's she'd had quite a week. She's had a week. Um, she was on James Corden's show, um, as part of a game. That um, was her first. <laughs> That was her first misstep. That was the first misstep. As, as part of a game she was involved in, she was given the task of ranking some actors that she'd worked with. And for some reason, um, of the three actors she that she like was given, she and... decided to put Jake Gyllenhaal at the bottom as being the least talented. <laughs> sure. Below Adam Sandler. So the, the, her options were um, Hugh Grant, who she was in the rewrite with. Yeah. No, music and lyrics. Yeah questionable film adam Fair sandler night. who she's been in many films with, real film and night. jake gyllenhaal who she was in donnie darko with and her order was adam sandler hugh grant jake gyllenhaal i think i'm i like to think that maybe she was ranking from worst to best um and, they, and everyone didn't, got confused yeah everyone got confused because i really like drew barrymore and this is like really well, put a spanner in the world the thing is she's quite active on social media and the backlash from this was hilarious people are like are you okay drew um, so later on in the week, she attended the premiere of season two of her Netflix show, uh, The Santa Clarita Diet. Which is firmly average. I haven't watched any of it. It's firmly average. Has it got Timothy Olyphant in it? Who's that? I don't know. He's like Is a, it the main guy? Yeah, the main I'm guy. He's not. pretty hot, but he's not. He's nondescript. He was in... Yeah, he's fairly nondescript. Fine. It's just. It was just... Fine. fine. Um, and she... So she arrived at this premiere on the red carpet with a sign that read, I heart Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, I mean, same. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a bit like saying, oh, but that still means he's like, you know, top of the list compared to all the other actors in the world. It's like when Vaughn says that Harry's her least favourite member of One Direction, but that still means that he's one of her favourite people yeah, in the that's whole world true. because he's still in the list. Yeah, that's... he still makes the cut. Vaughn, just, I do take issue with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure she, I'm sure that, I mean, I don't know. She's just wrong, really. Isn't she's she? just wrong on so many crisis. levels. I'm, I, I think I think the thing is she's quite friendly with Adam Sandler so if you're, if you're not going to go like oh he's my friend but he's a shit actor I mean that's I feel like that's just another also, problem I guess she, she has uh, is that she's friends with she Adam worked, Sandler yeah, right. she worked on Donnie Darko like what 18 mm-hmm. years ago now so she's forgotten how good that maybe she's just was. forgotten how good teenage Jake Gyllenhaal was maybe she's just never seen a Jake Gyllenhaal film since she was like no I'm fine imagine that god almighty what a weirdo anyway Drew are you okay? Get help. 
Um, so some things we've been enjoying recently um, on the movies front. Um, we both went to see um, You Were Never Really Here. We did. Um, a couple of weeks ago now. Yes. Um, I'd been looking forward to it a great deal. It's um, the fourth feature from director Lynn Ramsey. Um, her previous features are Ratcatcher, Morven Caller, We Need to Talk About Kevin. Mm. Um, it stars Joaquin Phoenix as Joe... Um, Katarina Samsonov as Lisa and a bunch of other people as well. Um, <laughs> That's what I did as well. I, I was didn't like, write it down. Well, the cast is sparse, isn't it? it is. Alessandro Nivola's in it for like five seconds. Yeah. I was like, oh, cool. What a role. Um, it won the best screenplay at Cannes last year That's and Joaquin won best actor. Um, I didn't realise actually, which I thought was quite interesting, the film itself debuted there in an unfinished state. It wasn't right, yeah. It hadn't and been fully edited, right? It still received a seven minute standing ovation. That's insane. Um, it's based on Jonathan Ames's 2013 novella and tells the story of Joe, a former Marine turned hitman who specialises in returning missing children to their parents. Um, he sort of finds himself embroiled in a particularly complicated case while also battling his own demons um, rooted in his sort of personal history of trauma and abuse. Um, what did you think of it? Um, I really enjoyed it. It was quite... Uh, a, I, I know we always refer to films being short, but it felt like quite... So it was short and kind of snippy. Um, the violence was quite quick in it. So it's got, I don't know, I was anticipating it being, it is dark. I was worried that it was going to be really, really graphic. Yeah, um, I had the same. And it wasn't. There was some panning away and some of the violence was so quick, you like almost blinked and missed it. So yeah. it didn't feel too gratuitous. No, I quite like that. I mean, it is really dark and brooding, but I did like that um, you're immediately just in yeah, yeah the, there's no build-up, there's no, like, setting the scene, there's just... No, so much of the backstory and, and, and Joe's history in particular is really, like, just alluded it's to. She's told through flashbacks, isn't it? Yeah, those of... jump cuts are really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really does explore kind of the idea of trauma, especially post-traumatic like stress stress yeah as well you think about the fact that he's he's from the armed forces and now yeah. he's in also involved in a job that's particularly traumatic and deals in kind of you know just really really corruption dark, and yeah absolutely corruption. i just i really liked it i really like lynn ramsey's films mm-hmm. um i really like that she's not afraid to kind of get bleak and i really like that this was directed by a woman to be yeah. to be honest i mean it it's quite a i don't know you could kind of say stereotypically it's quite a it feels like quite a well, masculine f- film i mean i was would be a quite masculine i was going to mention that. this when we got to books but i'll just talk about it now mm. so i we saw it and then about a week later i i read the novella jonathan ames's original um piece mm. so um in it um you get you do get a lot more backstory and the book oh, okay. itself is is sort of different from the the film Mm -hmm. the narrative is different things that happen are different which i think is really interesting as well because it obviously means that lynn ramsey's taken the story and kind of just proper gone with it in yeah made in a way that works better for the screen so in the book for example you learn that joe um worked vice for the fbi okay um after he was um a marine yeah um and there are things that are, are in the novella that do come up in the in the film so there's the bit where he flashes back to like a container of, mm-hmm. of women yeah, yeah that's yeah. in the book okay um yeah. you do learn a little bit more about the abuse that he had at the hands of his father and his and okay. things to do with his parents marriage which is quite interesting and, and sort of explains a lot of his behavior but then i don't think that when we saw the film i didn't think we were missing anything like that I, no that doesn't sound like it was necessary no. i feel like the scenes with um, the scenes with his mother which were kind of especially tender mm-hmm. um and the fact that he is such a kind of 
brute of a man. He's so big, he's so strong, he's capable of such violence, but he has these really kind of soft, tender moments. That felt, like, really important, and it was, like, such a nice... I don't know, contrast. You do get that um, contrast, don't you, between... But yeah, like, I don't think back any more backstory. I don't no. think it's particularly necessary other than he's looking after his frail mother. There was nothing I read in the book where I was like, oh, actually, that would have been really useful mm. to know in the film. Um, maybe it's just because I did it that way around, but it, mm. it, I didn't think that like there'd been any missteps by mm. her when she adapted it. I mean, I liked the when I was reading um, a couple of interviews with her about the film, mm. she talked about how she'd written the film specifically with Joaquin Phoenix in mind. And what was interesting is when I was reading the book, um, the way that the character is described is just very whacking thing. Does it sound like yeah? Yeah, and I and I can't tell guy in mind. Yeah, I can't tell if that's just me retroactively going like, oh yeah, that doesn't make sense. But it's just the way that I don't know. It's described as so. It's interesting to know that she was writing the screenplay Mm. with him like completely in mind. Um, Yeah, I've thought about it a lot mm -hmm. since we saw it. Yeah, me too. I've, I think. Uh, yeah they're kind of really stand out there's a lot of um, like we said the flashbacks are really kind of stick in your mind there's also some kind of they're not flash forwards but there's sort of a few imaginings where Joe is kind of imagining um, mainly invoking violence on himself which yeah. is quite really stick in the mind um, I just felt I felt like it was really tight and really sharp mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because um, it was apparently kind of scripted on the fly and shooted kind of like they improvised with the shooting so they kind of did it as they went along in some parts or I was reading about that which actually like that doesn't isn't how it feels like you'd expect maybe I don't know for it to feel a bit I don't know it just so sounds much like it came together really well yeah this this some of the visuals of it just the way the framing mm. and the the blocking of everything it just looks so story I mean Lynn Ramsey, I feel like, has a very clear visual style in the way that she kind of puts together her films. And I do think it's really interesting what you say about the fact that it came together quite quickly. Because, again, I was reading about the fact that basically because she'd wanted to work with Joaquin Phoenix, it was very much dependent. Like a really small, like a few months. It then. was dependent on like when he was available. And I think it was in between. Like They moved the filming of it forward, I think, oh, to fit his schedule. Um, so, and, but, but you don't get any of that kind of chaotic, no. like feel to you can it. imagine like they it really could have been a mess yeah if they weren't careful yeah it doesn't feel had... rushed it feels really no. like well thought out and yeah i just and it's got an amazing score yeah. by johnny greenwood as well um i was talking to someone earlier in the week about the fact that i wasn't anticipating that like the two things that i would be absolutely mainlining at the moment would be like two johnny greenwood scores because mm. i've been listening to this a lot and mm. his score for phantom thread, thread. Yeah. and they're really different and that's that was amazing to that's me because yeah um the score for this is kind of electronic in parts mm-hmm. um to make a lazy comparison it made me think a lot about the way that the school works in drive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um nicholas winding reference um sort of hitman film with with ryan gosling um just the way that that kind of like pulsing yeah yeah um, I know music exactly what you mean. contrast with a lot of the kind of violence mm-hmm. in that as well but i definitely would recommend and um, people see it if they get a chance. Like you said, it's only like 90 minutes, yeah. I think. And I don't think you would have wanted any more than that. No, no, that's why it's such a good piece, I think, because it's really sharp, really neat. Um, and it's just very... I don't know, it is really the subject matter. I mean, when you pause and think about it, it's so dark. It's <laughs> like, awful. Some of the stuff is happening is just unbelievable. So I'm, But I'm glad it didn't fall too far into... I don't know. 
Um, no, and I think the shortness it just of didn't it, feel gratuitous. No, and I don't think because of the because of the length of it as well, there was no time to sort of like be overly gratuitous with no. that topic matter. Like it was just sort of like this is what's happening. You're told this is a thing. It's horrible, mm. and then we're just going to move on. Um, something else that we both watched. I mean, I watched it last night, and you watched it earlier last in the week. week. Earlier in the week, um, was Annihilation. Mm. We talked about it last time. I think about the fact that I was outraged that it wasn't going to be on. Uh, in cinema here, um, it's directed by Alex Garland. It's sec- his second feature as director. It stars Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Gina Rodriguez, um, Tiva Natoni, and yeah, Oscar Isaac. Um, it's based on the novel of the same name by Jeff Vandermeer. It's the first in his Southern Reach trilogy. Um, the general, I mean, we probably will get into spoiler territory. Probably should have said that. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I try and I don't want to go. Yeah, let's. Yeah, let's just go. We'll do a spoiler warning. Let's go full spoiler. Stuff I want to talk about. So the general synopsis for the film itself is that um, a phenomenon called the Shimmer has overtaken a large area on the southern coast in the states. Um, it's baffling everyone and it's growing. Um, multiple covert missions have been sent inside to investigate, but to no avail. Um, a man has returned, Kane. He's a special forces soldier and husband of. Bio- biologist um lena and she assumed that he'd been killed in action Mm -hmm. on his mission um because he's been gone for a year um he comes back it becomes unwell and on the way to the hospital the two of them intercepted and taken to area x um subsequently lena finds herself caught up in the mystery of the operation and decides to head into the shimmer with three others in search of answers um so Lena's played by Natalie Portman mm. and Kane is Oscar Isaac, but the cast itself, like I said at the beginning, is is largely female. She's yeah, four um, female scientists. Yeah, four really. female scientists. So she's when Lena heads bad. into the Shimmer, she's uh, Doctor Ventress, who's a psychologist. Uh, that's Jennifer Jason Lee. Mm-hmm. Josie's a physicist. That's Tessa Thompson. Cass is an anthropologist. Um, that's T. Venatoni and uh, Anya, a paramedic, who's uh, Gina Rodriguez. Mm. Um, the, and, and in the film itself, they do make a real point of the fact that they are the first all-women crew so that they're, they're the 14th or 15th voyage in i think they've all been have they all been male before they've all been yeah. male and they're the first all-women crew to enter the shimmer um and this is because for some unknown reason they've suddenly decided that women are less likely to kill each other when they go in there because that's what they think has happened to everyone that's gone in you don't know women very well um just quickly as well in the uk like i said it was on netflix um and it had a limited theatrical run in the u.s mm-hmm. i I knew that there had been issues with it, but I thought this was quite interesting. So it re- it received poor test screenings and one of the financiers at Paramount was concerned that the film was too intellectual and too complicated and demanded changes. Um, producer Scott Rudin had sided with Alex Garland, um, who didn't want to alter the film. Mm. Um, he, Rudin defended the film and refused to take notes. He had final cut, so thankfully no changes were made. Mm. However, this sort of riled up the people at Paramount and because of the clashes um, and a shift generally in Paramount's leadership, a deal was struck with Netflix to handle international distribution rather than release the film in theatres so the only territories which had it in a theatre were the States and China and everywhere else got it get it on Netflix (laughs) uh, 17 days later Um, I really love this yeah I really really enjoyed it Um, I mean I'm a fan of a genre film anyway and I love a bit of sci-fi so I felt like I was probably going to go into it quite enjoying it Mm -hmm. but um I, I really enjoyed the fact that um, it it kind of, for me, sort of meandered between or sort of evolved through kind of three different genres. It's like it kind of started off as a sort of a more traditional sci-fi, moved into kind of like body horror that reminded me a lot of kind of Alien mm-hmm. and then just turned into this kind of mad conceptual 
dance David Lynch piece at the end. Um, but that didn't feel messy. No, I mean, um, for me, like... Um, the way that it's constructed from the narrative having those three is it three, mm. three parts isn't it it's very similar to the way that um, Ex Machina yes Alex Garland's first film you has that totally sort of same structure that they're from the same person absolutely you? I mean not only uh, I think that there are kind of real interesting links for me so you've got the score itself that's Ben Salisbury mm. and Jeff Barrow um, from Porter said they did the score for Ex Machina so musically it sounded very yeah. had sort of similar, similar. they're also um I mean, there were little things that I picked up on. So they're the significance of names. So in the book, I don't think that anyone has a name. They're just called like the biologist, the psychologist, oh, okay. so the physicist. There's no names. Name. That's really um, interesting. I So in Ex Machina, there are loads of theories around the, the characters' names. Mm-hmm. And I picked up on in Annihilation. So you've got Cain. Um, yes. Cain and Abel, obviously, were the first two sons of Adam and Eve in Book of Genesis. Cain was From, a farmer. Yeah. Um, the brothers made sacrifices to God, um, and but when God favoured Abel's sacrifices instead of Cain's, um, Cain murdered Abel, and then God punished Cain by um, giving him a life of wandering, mm. which I thought was interesting. Um, There's also Cain from Alien, which yeah. was really close. Yeah. yeah, which I thought was really clever. Um, and then also Lena means sunlight and light as mm. well, which I thought was interesting when you think about the fact that she goes into the darkness and comes out okay. as well. Um, one thing... Um, that seem, when I've been reading a lot of articles about it this morning, um, just the theme of self-destruction... Yeah, definitely. ...seemed to come up quite a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. Ventress herself refers to that when she's talking about um, Kane's decision to go into the, the Shimmer, um, because obviously Lena can't really understand why she's why he's going on this suicide mm-hmm. mission. She Ventress talks a lot about no one really wants to kill themselves. It's actually just an act of self-destruction. Yep. And when you look at the four women that end up going into the Shimmer itself, so Ventress has it's got... All for similar Yeah, they've all reasons. got their own kind of... Um, li- they've got little to live for, I suppose, mm-hmm. is a base way of saying it. So Ventress herself has got terminal cancer. Su- uh, Josie's got suicidal tendencies. Cass is grieving the death of her child. And Anya's a recovering addict. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose Lena wants to kind of... I don't know, she's grieving in her own way. To yeah, do with and her. she feels like she's lost her husband and yeah. he's not coming back or he hasn't come back the same. There's also, as well, um, the, the figure eight tattoo. Yes. Sort of the infinity. Yeah, I didn't, I I noticed that, but I, ha- I mean, I haven't so I, much I about picked it afterwards. But. It's just, I think that has a lot to do with the way that the um, the shimmer itself refracts and genes mm-hmm. move around. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an act of showing the fact that, like, Anya. His DNA is sort of you know how everyone just mm-hmm. becomes a part of everyone else absorbing but the fact that it's a figure eight so the symbol itself is an infinity symbol yeah. but also the tattoo in particular is a symbol of a snake eating itself so if you think about that it's sort of self-destructing oh, or a bore I can't remember what they're called or a it's or something yeah. so yeah, yeah it's Ouroboros. that um I've yeah so I've just I don't know man I was really blown away by it I had it, yeah. really high expectations for it and I just really really liked it I hate using the term because we've done this before. You know how people almost um, almost regarded Get Out as like an intelligent horror film. Yeah. I hate I hate the idea of putting intelligent next to any kind of genre film like it couldn't be intelligent. But it kind of felt like that again with this. Like it's an in, it's an it's an intelligent sci-fi film. I think it's um, interesting when you think about the fact that in its test screenings it was deemed too intelligent. Yeah. I mean. There's obviously an by that they just mean it. different, it's don't different. they? As in, it's not, it doesn't follow the exact kind of, I don't know, the course that you expect that kind of film to follow. Although, in lots of ways, when it starts out, it is like a really known formula of like 
getting together a group of scientists to go into someone somewhere and explore the unknown like that is such a thing that we that is like a trope that we are used to and absolutely yeah i mean and you've also got the fact that when lena's being interviewed Mm. like that's clearly like a flashback the, like, the survivor yeah, yeah yeah completely and it's like oh actually these are all kind of tropes that we're really used to and we think we know where it's going and then it goes just just into areas that I was not expecting no. at all and I, I didn't think it was that complicated like, no I, obviously I don't think it's complicated at all it just I suppose you know when you think about like the, the psychological biological you know the physics of it mm-hmm. I suppose those are kind of interesting but I, I'm not in any way scientifically mind I don't need to and know I the was, real I, I get the I felt that everything that was happening was communicated in a way that sort of like you know it's a little bit batshit but you mm. do understand what is happening like yeah. they, I don't they, need to know the exact science behind it but I do get that it was explained like, to me this messes with this and therefore you get this like something in there messes with people's DNA and everything like is a moving Frankenstein around. monster kind of yeah, yeah I mean absolutely. I, I've, I think I'll, I'll make a point of linking to a bunch of articles that I've read today um, because they're, like I said, about the self-destruction and, and depression and trauma. I've read a lot of really interesting pieces written by women about... There's a lot about echoes of trauma in that, yeah, isn't there? there's a lot about self-destruction and mm. depression. So there was one um, I read on Brightwall Dark Room, which is called Annihilation and the Art of Self-Destruction by mm. Lindsay Romain. Um, a quote I pulled out was... Um, and she, in this as well, she talks a lot about... Um, she uses uh, Sylvia Plath's poem, Lady Lazarus, mm-hmm. Lazarus sorry, to explore themes of self-destruction. And she says, what does it mean to self-destruct it is a coded bodily inefficiency diabolical in nature it is our great imperfection as a species a blight on the human condition we put ourselves through suffering for no logical reason because it feels good because it feels bad because it feels like anything at all and i think that when you think about the fact that like cain for example is a special um forces Mm -hmm. soldier and i feel like when you're in the military i mean this this again probably comes up in um you were never really here as well yeah. i think you just become so conditioned to existing in a high mm-hmm. state of dealing it's with just things. On an intense level it's just the, the intensity time, that you, you i think going back to normal life must be daily really hard. routine must be and you hear about it a lot when with soldiers returning from war who that struggle adjust struggle to adjust to normal life because they're used to sort of putting their lives in danger and actually it becomes a bit of like an adrenaline Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you could easily say that about Kane Um, there was another piece on the vulture as well which was um, how annihilation nails the complex reality of depression by Angelica Jade Bastian Um, it's really interesting that women are writing yeah I mean this one in particular was really um, was very very I don't know it was just interesting read she talks about the film's arc of self-destruction as well but um um and she but she uses it to talk about her own self-destructive tendencies mm-hmm. so i think she's bipolar and she talks about actually um how it nails depression and that kind of the shimmer itself and how you lose time and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you distrust your distrust your body yeah and those things um so she talks about the sort of self-destruction in women. She says, each woman comes to represent a different facet of the struggle with depression and self-destruction. In Cass, I see the knowledge that you can never re- return to the person you were once in the wake of trauma. In Anya, it's how you lose touch with and control your own body. In Ventress, it's the angry, propulsive desire to give yourself fully to in- mm-hmm. engendering your own destruction. And in Josie, it's the weight of su- suicide- suicidal ideation. Um, Lena, in many ways, is a combination of what the other characters represent, a longing for death and angry and self-destructive quality, the feeling that her body is no longer her own and a curious embrace of sorrow and understanding of how it has reworked her um 
And then another one as well was from New New Republic and it's Annihilation is a Brilliant Splicing of Wolf and Cronenberg by Josie Livingston. And this one was interesting to me because I thought the the use of the lighthouse, the fact that everything Mm -hmm. starts at the lighthouse. um, And I'd immediately, whenever the lighthouse is used in anything, I just think of Virginia Woolf. And in this article, it talks about sort of the use of the lighthouse, um, how the building itself into the lighthouse in Woolf's novel represents an always out of reach object for human desire the thing that propels us through life and towards each other and if you think about how the lighthouse in annihilation is the root of of, you know it's caused the Mm -hmm, shimmer mm -hmm. um it says you are never in the lighthouse only moving towards it like annihilation the novel is deeply concerned with human relationships and the fractal complexity of the way we perceive each other um and just how the lighthouse is desire and the frontier that separates our own minds from others mm. and how it sort of looks at trauma and subjectivity. I mean, mm. I just think there's like, like Ex Machina. I mean, I remember after I saw like Ex Machina, I spent like months. You were particular. Yeah, just you were. reading about it. The sort of, because I think that Alex Garland is someone that layers things so mm-hmm, wonderfully. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm going to be doing the same with Annihilation. I think there's a lot to unpack and it does make me super, super angry that it's kind of been passed I over. From I know. I think having... they're going to regret it massively. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know being on netflix has a benefit in that you've got a wide audience and i do think that word of mouth will probably help it but yeah i mean it's getting great reception so i think everyone is gonna try and watch it but the visuals there are just so many things about like the the bear scene the bear is like unreal that's the standout scene for me is something that like you said like an echo of like intense trauma and body horror and um, I just think that the way the body horror was handled was so interesting mm. in that it wasn't gratuitously nope. gory. No. Nope. No. But it's just so so subtle mm-hmm. in the way that you're suddenly but delivered. Horrific. Yeah. Anyway. Th- that scene itself was just absolutely horrifying when you think about just oh, what do I know, women and trauma. Oh, yeah. I just think it Ugh. People should watch it for the bear scene. Yeah, for that alone, man. I In just summary. I'm I'm already looking forward to watching it again mm-hmm. just to see what I take away from it a second mm. time. But um it's definitely gonna be one of the best films I've seen this year for sure. Yeah. Um and I recommend that people um check it out. Absolutely, yes. Cool. TV. Uh we both were again quite a while ago, we both watched um Everything Sucks, which mm-hmm. was kind of I don't think either of us really planned on watching it and then um it was kind of recommended to me to watch so I did kind of start and I think we both ended up binging it pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, I don't know why I suddenly... I think I must have run out of something else to watch. Mm-hmm. And Phil mentioned it to me so I was like, cool, I'll give it a try. It's a nice, neat, like, half an hour, 20-minute episodes again. So yeah. um, Everything Sucks is... Uh, it's a 10-episode um, web television series created by Ben York-Jones and Michael Mohan. Um, it arrived in the UK on Netflix um, earlier this year. Um, it's uh, I guess it, it parodies teen culture of the 90s so it's kind of freaks and geeks for a new generation mm-hmm. um, it's set in the real life town of Boring, Oregon in 1996 and focuses on a group of teenagers who attended the fictional Boring High School uh, as they proceed to make a movie together while dealing with issues such as dating and sexuality um, having just watched uh, The End of the Fucking World which I think <laughs> we both discussed that it was fine, fine. Um, I actually enjoyed this a lot more yeah um and i was pretty skeptical when i put the first episode on yeah i was as um, well and by the end of the first episode um i was really intrigued because it that first episode just straight away dealt with um issues that i don't know i think a lot of uh teen tv 
I don't know. It it felt like it feels quite freaks prescient. and geeks for like a new generation, but for like a younger generation as well. Yeah, so because I because they're quite a bit younger in the high school. Yeah, they're only just the mm. the 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 boys aren't they? The, mm-hmm. the boys are a freshman in high school, and then um, the girl Julie. Kate. Kate. Why do I think it was Julie? Julie. Well, fine. Sure. Kate. JK. JK. Um, Kate's a sophomore, isn't she? Mm -hmm. So they're really early stages in high school. So it definitely does play to the the younger. um, Also, I quite like the fact that you weren't really sure how old they all were. Yeah. Because they get they get involved with like the drama club and some of the older kind of characters. Well, clearly in it. older, yeah. Clearly older, but I wasn't really sure how old they were. I mean, I I just we binged this over like a weekend. So easy to watch. It was so right? easy to you watch. Sip through it. Had no, I had a really really good score as well. Um, mm-hmm. Score soundtrack. Sorry, um, the soundtrack's pretty cool. I've been listening to it a lot on Spotify. So good. Lots of Tori Amos. Lots of, oh god, the Tori Amos. That's lots of nineties bangers. Um, um, I just liked how it just explored sexuality for teenagers in a way that like I don't think I've personally seen in in a lot of TV no, shows. No, I think I I feel like you get a lot of um I think there's been a lot of well we did teen drama last time but I mean there's been a lot of teen drama about like addiction and like drinking and drugs and partying but sexuality I don't know I felt like it hasn't been dealt this was kind of dealt with it straight up so mm. like one of the main storylines is that Luke this young kid is falling for um Kate who is the principal's daughter um but while he's busy falling for Kate she's busy falling for um a girl called Emmeline um so that straight off the bat like from the first episode was one of the first issues that they were dealing with i thought it was quite funny when we were watching it tom was getting really annoyed with like how much of like an how annoying luke was mm-hmm. but i had to sort of say but to that him, he was very selfish yeah but i was like but the, i i genuinely think that that's how a teenage boy mm-hmm. at that time and mm-hmm. probably generally would react to basically falling for a girl hanging out with her basically like being absolutely besotted with yeah. her but not really understanding the fact that not like, reading the signs that she she's wants, interested in something else she wants to be different. friends she's interested in something else and something that basically means he, you can't he couldn't fulfill no. anyway and i said like i i completely i get that yeah, totally. i get why he's being kind of being kind of a wiener i mean he is being a wiener but he i don't know when you're that age and i think they point it out in the show like when you're at that age you fall in love with like the idea of someone yeah. you don't know them as a person so he's in love with the idea of her um so he's not he's not reading the signs at all he's not paying attention to what she actually wants at all because it's the idea of her rather than actually her that he's falling for yeah which i thought um, I, I i mean i completely got yeah so i was oh, i mentioned this to you like i was especially thrilled that it just featured female masturbation like in the first episode like straight up so like funny. not in a like haha american pie kind of way just like perfectly normal just straight out there and i was way. like oh hey yeah let's remember that this is a thing i did also um, i mean i i liked the sort of like relationship between luke and his mum and kate and her mm. dad i thought that felt very like real to me and also because they're both mm-hmm dealing with like absent parents so yeah. um luke's father abandoned him and his mum and kate's mum um passed away so they're both sort of dealing with absences mm-hmm. of, of sort of kind of different yeah. types yeah different types of absence but it kind of and how actually together. that can affect you when you are at an age especially if it's the parent that you've lost is the opposite gender yeah. from you so obviously luke lives with his mum kate lives with her dad mm-hmm. and it's that kind of you don't have that. opposites like how mm-hmm. how do you sort of discuss issues when you're a teenager when actually you know your dad kind of just thinks of you as his little girl Mm -hmm. and your mum is just really aware of the fact that you're and you've lost that parental figure who is the same yeah yeah yeah, completely so Um, i know it was it was a really fun watch i don't know 
if I if I think there needs to be a second season. If they brought a second season, I don't I don't think it really needs it. No. Like I think it's a nice like kind of web series, yeah, little thing to kind of watch but I don't think it really needs to go that much further um you know I mean the only thing that I didn't like was that whole Oasis video episode you touched just like episode being, two like, and I was like April I don't know if I can continue with this because this video this song is making me it was really um it was really be kind rewinding yes yes it was and in the beginning I thought that it was going to really venture into that um kind of area also have you seen that movie um me girl Earl and and the dying me, girl. Me, oh, and the gut dying girl. Where yeah. they like remake yeah. films. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm really hoping that it's not just going to turn into like, that, oh, yeah. a kid in the 90s gets a camera and wants yeah. to make a film. I was hoping that it wasn't going to be like each time was going to be a yeah. different. I think thing. it kind of bordered on cheesy sometimes, didn't it? But yeah, um, completely. It kind of, I think it saved itself. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, on complete flip side, the other thing I've been watching recently, um, finally, is um, The Kingdom. So Wes and I started watching this. Um, <laughs> what a contrast. It really is a complete contrast, but it's been on my to-watch list for quite a long time because it's kind of rated as a cult classic. Um, it's uh, Kingdom's an eight-episode Danish television miniseries. Uh, it was created by Lars von Trier in 1994, um, so it is Danish, it's in Danish um, it's really short, it's season one and season two and they've got four episodes in each, um, it's set in the neurological ward of a Copenhagen hospital um, and it is, it's kind of hard to describe it's, I I was I kind of, I was interested in it because I think it, it looked on face value like it would have a lot uh, of similarities to kind of Twin Peaks mm-hmm. um, and I know that Von Trier credits Twin Peaks as one of his inspirations for this show um, and the more I watched it I did still feel that it has um, real comic tones it's kind of it is a soap opera set in a hospital yep. that is funny with some interweaving kind of elements of horror and the supernatural that are pretty weird um, the, 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 the hospital itself is nicknamed, I think it's Ridget or Ridge, um, which means realm or kingdom. And it's kind of the idea that, uh, this hospital is sat on something kind of supernatural. Um, and, uh, there's like a battle between good and evil in all of the episodes. Um, it's got like a, a strange Greek chorus of dishwashers living in the basement that kind of sure. narrate all these various elements. Um, and it's got a weird... Um, I was acutely aware that you know when you're watching the first few episodes of Twin Peaks and you're like this is really nice this is really grainy mm-hmm. like the quality of is really kind of weird. it's very like that like really oh really yeah really grainy it's got a really sepia tone which makes it feel really really dated mm-hmm. it's a really weird watch um it is very funny I would recommend watching it we haven't finished the second season yet we um, we got through the first season and I was sort of thinking to myself, oh, this gets credited as being like really odd. But actually, it's not that weird in terms of the things that I think we probably watch. It's not that weird. Yeah. Then I watched the fire at the end of the fourth episode, which is the close of the first series. And it was like one of the most traumatizing few seconds of TV I've ever watched in my life. And I was like, holy shit, this is why it's uh... like a cult favorite. It's mad. Um they didn't continue it. It was supposed to continue. I think they were hoping it would continue. Um, actually, quite a lot. The main cast, uh, the main, uh, I guess he's the main antagonist, actually. One of the main characters, um, Stig, who's the kind of uh, consultant neurologist. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy who played him, um, 
Ernest Hugo Yeargard, I think. Um, he actually died after the second season. And oh, another okay. one of the main characters died, so they kind of didn't carry on with it. Um, it's super fucking weird. It's pretty hard to get hold of. Mm-hmm. I managed to find it in a shop, and it was like 15 quid or something. And when I looked it up online on Amazon, it was like 45. So I was like, oh, I wow, I'm just going to okay. give this a chance. But um, I'll probably lend it to you if you ever feel like watching it. It is... It is airing on the really weird side of I'm stuff. I'm unsurprised seeing as it's last one, one Trier, right? Who I have an exceedingly love-hate relationship yeah. with in that, like... I mean, some of his films I really... I think enjoys the wrong word. Mm-hmm. Appreciate. And some of them I'm just like, I don't understand this. Yeah. It's I think this much. is actually on the less... <laughs> Minus that it would final be interest- episode. It's on the less weird side for Lars It would be Trier. interesting to see in terms of, like, you know, his, I don't know, arc? Yes, yes. Career arc, You can tell it's, like, early, because you can kind of see elements of Von Trier, but it's like if Von Trier um, decided to, uh, like, create Greenwing. It's really weird. <laughs> I suppose, it's, I suppose <laughs> it, that Twin Peak com- comparison is right in the sense that if you think about how where Twin Peaks fits into like David Lynch's yes. Phil Morgan and it's you know really similar work, I think so and you can so kind of tell planes. the you can see where you got the ideas from that it's yeah. like a soap opera hospital soap opera with some really bizarre supernatural elements but it's really funny at the yeah. same time it's totally mad like it's really oddball it's probably one of the weirdest shows I've watched interesting um, but I yeah, to... yeah i well so it's so short as well i definitely recommend watching Do you it love a, love a um, short... the credit scene is just unreal like it's, as soon as i saw it i was like no hate this hate this <laughs> but actually it's yes worth pushing through the credit scene music i mentioned earlier that i'd been sort of binging the johnny greenman mm-hmm. scores for phantom thread and you were never really here which is true um i haven't really listened to much else other than there's a new hot snakes record out called jericho Lovely. sirens which is very hot snakey mm-hmm. if you're into that kind of thing which i am um i've also been listening to a lot of um lucy dacus who's a singer songwriter from the states her record very historian nice. um and i also saw julian baker a couple of weeks oh, ago of course she did yes um, which was like the most overwhelming Great. thing ever she was supporting Bell and Sebastian, so which is enough. For which you, is enough imagine. for me, anyway. But she just, I mean, a thing that I thought about while I was there, and also I always find it really interesting when you see someone support another act. When because Julian Baker herself is like she's not in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, okay, people don't necessarily know who she is, but her name comes up a lot, though. Yeah, and it's it was interesting that I think that. I'm not sure how much crossover there is with like Bell and Sebastian mm-hmm. fan base. And I was getting really frustrated with the fact that she was doing this like really amazing, like heartfelt, emotional performance. And I had to stand near what this... people talking to her. Oh my gosh, so much. And I had to stand near this guy who was just whinging about her wailing. And I was just thinking about the fact that it's really interesting to me when women do interesting things with their yeah. voices um, and people are exceedingly critical about yeah. it. Like I've always come back to a... a an article I read was an interview with Joanna Newsom where she talks about how she continually finds it offensive when people describe her way of singing as childlike yeah, because she's yeah. like, they would never say that to a man. No, you wouldn't. And it's not a compliment. Yeah, yeah. It's like such a backhanded like, compliment. Oh, you've got such a childlike but Joanna, it's bearing in mind Julian Baker, like she records and produces all of her own music and um, when she performed live, it was just her. Mm-hmm. Like, she didn't have a backing band mm. or anything. And she was just, like, filling the room with such... Just a just, just atmosphere. Mm-hmm. 
and people but are people just like that is peak Cambridge though oh by the way God. every time I've gone to Cambridge I've had trouble at gigs because I mean I was like just assholes. I just was one it was one of those things where afterwards I was like I feel physically overwhelmed and exhausted by that and yet everyone just seems to look fine so maybe Bunch it's just me turds. but she was in fucking insane and I really recommend well you were enjoying it and that's I the had important a nice time. thing cool so on to our main topic which I've been waiting probably like the entirety of our podcast life I, so far I do like that we, we're doing this just for no reason other than we want to just talk about I it I just want to talk about it it's got no yeah it's not it's what not better topical reason in any way. to have a podcast exactly than Magic Mike so um, I've just titled this why all women love Magic Mike and why more men, more men should watch it so this is Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL um, yeah I think we both love these films so much that we just wanted to um, make a case for them in case you hadn't seen them yeah especially I don't, I don't think we need to justify it really I find myself justifying it to men in particular all the time oh, God, um, anyway we'll go on to that um, if we start with Magic Mike the original film uh, released in 2012 directed by Steven Soderbergh uh, who's done like Logan Lucky, Ocean's Eleven, some other stuff. Contagion. Aaron Brockovich. Sex Lies and Videotapes. Videotapes, yeah, yeah, that guy. Um, it stars Channing Tatum as Mike, Magic Mike Lane. Um, Is that and- his surname? Yeah, Mike Lane. I didn't yeah. realise that. They were like, sure. what's a really exciting... Lane. He's Lane. just your average bro. Um, yeah, stars Changing Tatum, as my uh, <laughs> my autocorrect has called him. Sure. Um, it's got Alex Pettifer as Adam the Kid. Uh, Cody Horn as Brooke, Adam's sister. Joe Man... I can't even say his Magnelio. name. Magnelio. Magnelio as Big Dick Richie. Uh, Matthew McConaughey as Dallas. Adam Rodriguez as Tito. Uh, Kevin Nash as Tarzan slash Ernest. Matt Bomer as Ken and Gabrielle Iglesias as Tobias. Um, the film's loosely based on the experiences of Channing Tatum himself, who was an 18-year-old stripper in Tampa, Florida, aka my young dream. Um, <laughs> so when we when we come to watch this film, Mike uh, is just like your average bro, trying to make ends meet. He works in construction. He also works uh, as a stripper at a club called Exquisite. Um, but what he really wants to do, April, he really wants to run his own furniture business because he likes to make shit furniture can I just out of say, shit that's like swept up on the beach. Can I just say off the bat that when I first saw Magic Mike... So just generally overwhelmed by it. But the thing I kept coming back to was the fact that, like, his furniture is so shit. Like, oh, you found a car exhaust in the road and you made it into a coffee table. Why? It's like when you go to an art museum sometimes and someone has literally done something that's, like, just sticking objects together. Yeah. You're just like, cool. Was like, I just also... want to make my business out of this. Flipping through his brochure, like, fuck Put me, some glass mate. on top of something. Yeah. It's a table. Yeah, it's bas- that's basically what it is. Like, found some old toilet rolls and stuck them together <laughs> and wants to charge like a grand for it. Not that we're um, belittling him, but that's what it is. Model, so, yeah, so Mike's working in this club. It's run by Dallas, uh, who is uh, like peak Matthew McConaughey. We'll go on to that. Um, Dallas has a plan to move the entire club down to Miami. Um, uh, big dream, big dream. Um, uh, <laughs> fuck's sake. <laughs> um so the focus of the film is mostly Mike, but it's also Alex, the kid, by uh, played by Alex Pettifer, who's a 19-year-old kind of college dropout. He's not doing so well. He's looking for work, um, and he uh, is introduced to this club by Mike um, and becomes a young stripper. Um, and it's oh, it's a it's a joyful ride. Um, 
into sort of dark waters and light waters and stripping scenarios. I find it really funny to think about how this was like kickstarted the reconnaissance. Right. Isn't it weird? It is. But it is like his peak role. I will bring that up in a minute. But when I, I didn't watch this film for like, when it came out, it was probably out for like six, seven months and I was so like, I'm not going to watch this. Did you not see Because I thought it was going to be like a shitty rom-com. I I, saw this in the theatre and it was overwhelming. Yeah. But did you not think, I went in thinking it was going to be a shitty rom-com and it turns out that it's like a comedy drama that's actually like I think more serious I can't, there's not as much stripping as I first anticipated I can't actually remember why I saw it but I because it's got naked men in it no it was just literally oh, like just oh it's Steven then. Soderbergh and it's a film about like Channing Tatum's in it and Matthew McConaughey thoughtful strippers the thinking man stripping film <laughs> thinking man thinking woman stripping film um, I just I think I just remember it got really good reviews and I'm pretty sure that Mark Kermode reviewed it positively and yes. I was like do you know what if Kerm says it's like exactly. legit I'm gonna go in well Wes watched this for the first time the other day I, I did make him watch it and I, I think he was so like ago. this is gonna be absolute why would I want to watch this and he was pretty into it um by the end um so the, the story mostly focuses on Mike and Alex the other boys don't feature as much but don't panic because they are in uh, the second film a lot more um Mike's character is very down to earth, so very oh God, so humorous. Wears his heart on his sleeve, puts uh, really puts bro. himself out there for uh, Alex's sister Brooke. Mm. Um, of course, yeah, Channing's background is in dance and stripping. So I do just think this is such an excuse for him to just dance. It's just for him to go. Yeah, my calling card's pony, so I'm just gonna. <laughs> I really like genuine, so I just desperately want to do this. It's just amazing. Um, so. All in all, it's just a great film. The bits that I wanted to point out are... Um, let's go Matthew McConaughey first. Sure. So the best things about this film are Channing Tatum and Matthew McConaughey. When I was when I was doing some homework for this pod... Pod work. Pod work. And I was thinking about like Magic Mike versus XXL. Yeah. I was just thinking about how much I don't like Alex Pettifer. Yeah, that was going to be my next point. And how pointless I find his entire arc because for me the film is just... Channing and like Matthew and McConaughey is fucking bashing. He's com- and this is his turn to eleven. Where's kept on looking at me and going, what the fuck is wrong with? And him? I, I remember like, this is just Matthew. McConaughey. I remember when I so when I saw Magic Mike for the first time, it was like at a point where I think I can't remember if Mud had come out or not. Yeah, which is the God, it really was like yeah. like Mud like the Jeff Nichols film Mud, and there was also Killer Joe. Yeah, Killer Joe it was, was that period of time when Matthew McConaughey was like starting to do stuff that wasn't rom-coms People and hey him seriously. whenever I feel sad or feel crap mostly what I want to watch is like Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey rom-coms like... and they're so rarely on streaming sites so they're, they're, those have a time in a place yes. how to lose a guy in 10 days legit yes yes you know what I mean yes, like I'm, I'm here for him in that and like you know he's like dazed and confused Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. is is exceptional but I, I, it's so interesting to me to look back at his filmog from sort of like this point yeah. in time, that 2012 mm-hmm. point in time onwards, and just look at like what at 180 it was. Yeah. If you think about the fact that then he did like Interstellar and True Detective, All of and like <laughs> and like really gripping. I just remember having films. so many conversations at the time with people being like, "Hey, is Matthew McConaughey like good?" No. Yeah. 
But so, he's he's great in this. But he's no, you're right. It's such a so OTT. Um, it's massively crazy. And he yeah. So he plays Dallas, who's this club owner, proper like southern boy. Gets to get his like Texan out accent out. I just think gets about to wear leather chaps. What he's dressed as Uncle Sam. Oh my with god, with the... the hat and the stick. <laughs> um, there's a bit where he's in rehearsals and he's wearing like the tiniest little pants with like a cropped t-shirt and is just leaping around. Things I just think this is when I watch this, I just think this is Matthew McConaughey. I think that's what he's like in real life. That is him in real life. Yeah. One of my favourite things about this film is that I do just wonder if they're largely just playing themselves. I think they are. So Channing Tatum, that's this just is him. just Channing Tatum yeah. in this film. Like lovable bro who you're like, Oh yeah, I can see that he's kinda he seems really nice, but I don't really fancy him. Then you watch him dance and you're like Oh, oh, that's how you that's dance. Right. I okay, I see it. Yeah. Um, Matthew McConaughey's just batshit. Um, I really like. There's a scene in which he's playing some bongos. Yep. On stage, um, which quite clearly <laughs> alludes to um his real life when he was arrested for being high on marijuana, naked playing bongos <laughs> outside his house. He was arrested for oh, God, um, honestly. I think for what's it called being. It was either that or like disturbances or something. But basically, <laughs> um, could have been a low point, but instead he thought, I'll bring that into Magic Mike. Um, do, you, do you find it interesting when you think about the fact that um, Alex Pettifer and Shane Tatum did not get on? Hate each other. They hate each other. This was the next thing I was going to bring up in terms of A, Alex Pettifer's character, who is just boring and a do- he's the weakest part of he's the entire awful. film. He's so boring. And it's a shame that he's one of the key characters. Yeah. He's just gormless and I think that's just Alex Pettifer in real life. I don't he's even got remember him a reputation else. for being a dick. Yeah. Um and when you hear about so in the film, this isn't spoilerific really, um Alex's char- character the kid and um Magic Mike have almost like it's not a fallout, but Alex is going off the rails, getting really into taking drugs, partying, you know, his new life with women and stripping. Um, and Magic Mike's trying to keep him kind of on a level, but there's a point where Alex, um, there's like a drug deal gone wrong, and Alex owes a hell of a lot of money, and Channing Tatum bails him out, and there's like a, you know, obviously a lot of tension between them for that. And then in real life, Channing Tatum and Alex Pettifer fell out over money. Oh, so I didn't realize it was money. Alex Pettifer was renting an apartment during filming from Channing Tatum's friend. Oh, I do remember reading about York, this, yeah. And he didn't pay rent for like four months. So Channing Tatum wrote in an email and was like, dude, you need to fucking pull your socks up. Like, you owe him money. You need to pay money. And uh, Alex Pettifer just decided, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. So I'm just not going to pay rent. So they had a big falling out over that. Um, so he literally owed his friend money. Um, some of my fa- he was talking, I can't remember who was talking to this about. It was an interview. Um, and he said, uh, that there was, uh, during the reshoots, there was like onset tension. Um, and Alex Pettifer says, quote, um, this is after the, the, the problems with rent, um, says, quote, Channing had already told everyone he didn't like me. And what Channing says goes because he's a movie star. So I just really like the fact that he tried to make out like everyone dislikes me because Channing Tatum's like a massive like baby bitch. Um, he also says that he wishes he had paid 
for the rent sure, sure. for the house he was living in, but also believes that Tatum had it in for him from the beginning. Uh, when his name was suggested by Steven Soderbergh as an initial idea for the role, Tatum had dismissed him because of his reputation for being difficult. Um, Pettifer said he thinks that Tatum saw him as a risk. I don't think that makes Channing Tatum a dickhead. I think he was probably right. That's good business sense. Right. Why would you want to work oh, with someone who's known You've got for a terrible a reputation. Let's probably not have him then. No. So I feel like it, that it's just really interesting that the, the storyline in the film's basically the same. I do find it funny because, like, there's... I mean, I'm sure that we'll, we'll come on to this, but Magic Mike itself, in comparison to XXL, mm-hmm. there is, like, a darker, more sinister tone to it. because To the got, first one. Yeah, yeah. In, you know, because in, in the first one, you have got the the drug deal... Mm-hmm. The, the kind of the you know the the gangs that are going trying mm-hmm. to find Alex Petty you know all yeah. of that kind of violence implied violence the fact that it's got it does look at like the gritty underbelly of, of what's yeah. in comparison to sort of it's not all just strippers on swings no, and, and on gurneys and April I just feel like in comparison XXL is just like so in the other direction yeah it really is it's like really just taking the elements of, of Magic Mike which worked particularly well mm-hmm. i.e. the stripping the dancing the yeah. actual exploration of kind of the characters and, and really building on that yeah. and I do just think that like when it came to I mean I was really sceptical when I saw they were making a follow up to yeah. it because I just felt a bit like oh okay well I really liked What's Magic Mike but you I don't really know what else one. you can do with it but yeah. actually then seeing XXL I was like fuck this is what this is what it should have been really they're both exceptionally mm-hmm. good in their own right but tonally they're so they're different they're so different and we'll talk about it in a, in a minute but you're completely right and it's funny that this is the first film is the film that probably has more of a plot line yeah, or like gotcha. a, you know like a uh, I don't know like a story arc mm-hmm. really um, and yeah actually it's probably less necessary oh completely um, it's yeah I guess I think you can agree that the first film was a film about like chasing your dreams mm-hmm. It's about obviously about sexual commodification. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from Alex Pettifer, who's a problem in the film because he's so dull. Um, also, I just couldn't be. Bo- I I just don't find him sexy when he strips. No, I think give me Tarzan over that. I just <laughs> I just don't. I just don't like him. No, like, that's the problem. Just, I just don't like him. When he's so. like his first song he strips to is like like a virgin. It was just making <laughs> die a little bit. I'm not into it. Um, I feel like he probably hasn't showered a lot either. He just looks a bit boe. So not keen. Um, the other thing that I'm not keen on is um, so Mike likes Alex's sister Brooke, oh God, Brooke. who is intolerable. Um, has she's got quite a face on her most of the time she's so moody she is so moody um and the problem i have is that um she doesn't take him and i think there's a problem with the storyline is that she doesn't take him um seriously because he's a stripper so he has all these dreams she thinks he should be following those fair enough but at the same time like she won't she won't date him because he's a stripper because he's in that world and kind of at the end you feel like the moral of the story is the second he decides that i'm not going to be a stripper anymore she's all game for it so it's a bit like you know if you're a stripper you're not what I, get anywhere what i do find interesting about that about that arc in particular is that i do think it's just an interesting gender swap of the fact that like if if it had been if mike had been a woman she mm. was stripping it would be exactly the same no that's true through line which i that think is, is interesting in that, that is true actually um but i still don't know I, I i think you're completely right i i i think she was one of the weakest links in magic mike the so second was... he's like i'm giving up stripping she's like cool we can be together now and there's not really a valid reason for that because he's 
I know the stripping's not ideal, but I don't think there's that issue? much else he's making bank about it, so his life problem? that, yeah, he's saving money. He's like bailing your brother out. <laughs> he's, he's generally got, quite it's a not good like dude. he's sitting on his arse all day doing no. nothing and then goes out to strip and can't be fucked to do anything else. He clearly has other aspirations. No. I feel like Mike is the whole package here. Yeah. And she just isn't, she's just like such a grumpy dick someone until he's like, fine, I'm going to give you all of this shit up. You found someone that's going to like bail out your shitty little brother yeah that basically who takes, is so annoying he takes on his problems because he quite likes you and wants to like look after him mm-hmm. and you're just like i'm really sorry you're gonna have to stop but your me. character and your intelligence cannot be taken seriously until you stop being a stripper <laughs> cool, which cool. just annoys cool, cool. me a little bit but um yeah i feel like i didn't want to talk as much about magic mike because magic mike xxl as you say is where it's at it's so um much oh, so when magic mike XXL arrived. Was that 2015? I think. I think it was. I saw that in the cinema. I saw yeah. that three times. Oh, I, t- I, I ironically did not see it in the theatre. Did I not see it with you? No, and I don't know why. No, I don't. Oh. Why didn't I go? That was an overwhelming experience as well. Oh my god, I just realised that we didn't talk about Call Me By Your Name. Can we talk about it at the end? Yes. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um. I. Yeah, it was just an overwhelming. I don't experience. know why I didn't go and see it in the theatre. And we would have known each other by then. I know. We would have been spending weird. lots of time in the cinema together. Was I just busy? Was I busy? Maybe just busy. But I saw it a few times at the cinema, making up for not seeing the first one. Yeah, Magic Mike XXL, on face value, shouldn't be great. Because they went, let's not really have... We don't need much of a storyline here. Let's just... You know all the stripping stuff? Let's just do more of that. I was trying to think about what the, the storyline is. And basically, it's they just want to go to that stripping convention. Yes. So... <laughs> Imagine Mike XXL. It's a big nostalgia road trip. So Mike is doing well. He's got his furniture business. He's got a van with Mike's furniture, whatever it's called on the side. He's living with Brooke. Great. Can't remember what it's called. Mike Lane's furniture dream. Um, Shitty furniture. Um, They're all, you know, they've drifted apart. He's not part of that group anymore. They're doing their stripping thing with Dallas. Um, He's got his own life. He's living all of the things that he wanted to do. Um... And, uh, but he gets a phone call from, uh, Tarzan, who is basically Mickey Rourke, but not Mickey Rourke. So I just assume they couldn't get Mickey Rourke. I don't, the for the longest time, I thought it was Mickey Rourke, and then I realized it was Kevin Nash. I think he was a wrestler, so. Yeah. He basically Fine. looks like Mickey Rourke. Just the same person. Gets a phone call to say, uh, you know, you need to come. Something's happened with Dallas. Um, Mike obviously assumes the work that's worse, that something awful has happened. Turns out Dallas has just done a runner with the kid. They're just both dickheads. Didn't they go really, to China? They? Yes, they ran off to China <laughs> sure. to do their own stripping show. <laughs> sure. I don't know why. Um, so, yeah, the guys have been kind of left in the lurch. They want to go um, to this stripping convention annual stripping beach Myrtle beach this is the storyline um it's it's hanging on by a thread they want to go to a stripping convention um and uh mike decides just you know to get back into it and he's going to come along for the ride one last ride one last ride um as i think it's uh nobody messes with the mojo on the last ride (laughs) and also this is like when justin came back to backstreet boys brilliant um this film's great because they got rid of the dead wood. So <laughs> Alex Pettifer has gone. Brooke God. has gone. What's um, the reason they give? Is it just that she didn't want to marry him? Yeah, he proposes she to her. She says no. And she says no because she's a fucking bitch. Why would you do So spitting She hated the furniture. Yeah. So the initial film um, begins... I've just lost my place. Hang on. So in the initial film, um, Magic Mike's kind of go-to song is Genuine's Pony. <laughs> 
Um, and in not this about film, he's living his best life. He's doing his furniture stuff. It's not about horses, although. Um, and then he's doing some he's doing some woodwork in the uh, <laughs> some carpentry in the garage, and lo and behold, genuine pony comes on. And so I, I I think like how often do you think this that scenario happens to him where he's just out? This is what Channing Tatum does every day. He's just he's like oh shit, pony. grocery shopping. Oh, pony's on, gonna do some grinding. Like a reaction. There's just a lot of I mean it's. I'd be embarrassed if I were him just doing that by myself. But also, like, I don't begrudge him doing it. It's wonderful. Um, but, yeah, he does a little dance. Let's put it that way. And um, decides to get back into things. And um, I think uh, all of the other guys who were in the first film barely come back and have a lot more attention on them. They're properly established as characters. Yeah, which I really people. like because, I, I mean... That's like, the great. That's the greatness of it, right? Yeah, because they were, you know, when they did pop up in Magic Mike, they, when they had their individual, like when they did the focus on the dancers, mm-hmm. you know, like. But um, it was barely anything. Yeah, it, it was, was like, like surface. Nothing, yeah. Was it? And then suddenly they're here, and they've got like their own dreams. Oh my god, they've got their own dreams. April. I do like how it's how their kind of their arcs have been expanded. So you've got the fact that like Tito is still working in an ice cream store. Yeah. But also trying to get his food truck going. Um, his probiotic yogurt it's empire. Pro- great. Um, Ken is a trained healer, isn't he? Does Reiki. Reiki, yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, oh my god, what's... He's a oh, budding actor as well. Oh yeah, Richie's got his issues with... Um, stamina and... Stamina. He's trying to find his glass slipper, which is possibly <laughs> like... So the worst. He's trying to find his basically. I like the, his issue. Is he's so issue. well endowed that he can't. Find his a issue woman is that here. he hasn't had sex in five months. It's a hard life because it's just. And I don't know what Tarzan's deal is. He's just old. Uh, he, he's old. His he knees are family. going. He wants a family, and he just likes painting. Oh, he does like paint. <laughs> it's so good. And they, I like the bit where Mike goes to introduce him and has no idea what his name is. Yeah. And he's like, uh, Ernest. Tarzan? My name's Ernest. Obviously, Ernest. What a sweet old man name. Um, yeah, so we've got more focus on each of them. There's a lot of banter, a lot of natural conversation between them. I think it's the rapport between them is so, so good. good. And I'm so glad they expanded on. I think Rich because... has got most of the like great lines in it, though. Yeah, he's... well, he's just something else. His Backstreet Boys scene. Do you in in the yeah. um, convenience store? Yeah. That's a lot, man. I don't think I can listen to that song with anymore. Doritos. <laughs> I can't. I can't listen to that song anymore without thinking of of that. It's so gifable. It's so good, isn't it? Also, Joe Magnilio. Who'd have thought it? When um, he played Alcide in Oh my god, True he played Alcide in True Blood. There's actually a Twilight bit as well like, at the stripper convention. Where, like oh, one yeah. of the previous acts is doing a Twilight scene, and he's looking at it just like, "What is this like so vampire and werewolf shit?" So good. Um, <laughs> the gas stations. This has just got so many good scenes, and I don't just mean because Channing Tatum keeps taking a shirt off no, and dancing. No, and I do think that, like, when I was thinking back about, like, oh, things from Magic Mike and XXL that I really liked, everything that I kept thinking of immediately had like very visceral memories of was yes. from XXL. Yes. So you've got the gas station scene yep, with good. Rich, who Great. who's having yeah he's having stamina problems. He feels like he's lost his mojo. He's suffering com- from confidence issues. <laughs> Um, they're all off their heads on Molly and they decide that he should go into the gas station to make the poor girl working in the gas station who looks like she hasn't smiled in about 10 years make her smile so he does a dance to kind of make her smile and to brighten her day and to get his kind of mojo back which is perfect the country house that they stop at on the way with Jada Pickett-Smith, which is uh, like the, the MC Rome. Who, the women's clubhouse. Yes, the women's clubhouse, which is like a subscription 
clubhouse dedicated to women's pleasure, which is absolutely unreal, um, is an amazing scene. And I think Jada Pickett-Smith is... She's so good in it. So good. But all of her crew are badasses and just, yeah, very good. Um, also, Donald Glover. Also, oh, fuck, Donald Glover. Donald Glover in this. I think it might be one of the first times I ever... I don't think I'd really known who Donald Glover was before this. This film. was probably the first time I. He fan- looks so young in it, and I it's only a few Donald years Glover. ago. I was like, do you know what? Yes, he's so like baby faced, baby faced in it, and he's singing. It's lovely. So yes, Donald Glover's in this film as well. Very important part. Um, when they go and visit Tito's friend Megan, and it's Megan's mum oh, and yeah. her friends are having like a wine party, and the boys crash it. And um, they basically just spend their time. The older women are sort of, you know, get boosting the young guys like I do confidence think it's... by telling them how wonderful they are, and the guys are doing the same in return. I do think how it is just the narrative is just like they're going on a madcap journey. They have to stop off on the way. Yeah, they do. They stop off on like six different destinations, take off the shirts, do some dancing, tell some women that they're beautiful, and uh, and then keep them just like bye. There's nothing wrong with that ever. Um, so I guess it's all about it's all about kind of resurrection. Um, they're, uh, when they get to the, um, the convention, they all, they've all decided to scrap their old routines and they're, they're going for routines that are more closer to who they are. Um, so we've got Tarzan the painter with his bad (laughs) knees, who doesn't really do any stripping because he's old. Um, he has the shortest stripping routine in the world. It's like 20 seconds long. It is really, really short, but I do like how he gets to show off his artistic prowess. He does just get to show off that he's a thoughtful artist, doesn't he? And he's getting a bit old. Um, Tito uh, dances to 50 Cent's candy show. So, like, literally, I remember vividly when I finally saw XXL, like... I I obsessively listened to Candy Shop for... Don't even. for, For, like weeks if not months afterwards <laughs> just, because of this film this fucking film man um ken does his slow r&b routine with donald glover that's that like bomber man he sings like an angel he doesn't is a he? beautiful angel he's a sweet baby angel he's like tom, when tom and i went to the states probably nine eight or nine years ago we um i remember when we were in san francisco um the weather was really crap and we were watching tv and there was this tv show called white collar and it's just oh i saw aired. that he's in that i haven't seen it but he I just aired and in that he plays like a, a con who gets involved with like a um oh, the fbi basically mm. he helps them kind of like solve crimes because he's like a master burglar or whatever and i just remember being like Beautiful. that bomber is so handsome oh, like he's carved yeah. from like He's proper, like, chiselled... He's so handsome. Kendall. He is literally he? a Kendall. He's, like, blonde and voice of an angel. And Perfect. just cute. And adorbs. Yeah, he is adorbs. Um, and, yeah, so he has his little sort of... Gets to do his slow R&B, singy bit. And then Donald Glover's doing a bit of sort of emceeing as well. Too much, man, too much. Which is just too much. He gets his shirt off as well. Unbelievable. Um, Rich's <laughs> routine... Um, I almost I just lost my shit when I finally saw this I was like of all the regrets I had my biggest was that I did not get to see this in a theatre with you when Richie uses Nine Inch Nails closer closer in an S&M scene 
as his part of his routine. Like, I, I don't like, think... I think I stood on my chair. I was so, like, you yes. know, just so enraptured by something. Yep. That I leapt up. Yeah. Couldn't handle it. Absolutely couldn't handle it. What a scene. It's a lot in it. Um, it's, I think it justifies the entire film in and of itself, having that. Um, and, of course, you've got Mike's uh, mirror kind of dance at the end, which is just unbelievably good. Too much. Um, and I think it's got R. Kelly's song in it, which uh, is regrettable because it's R. Kelly now. But um, Great routine. Though. Yeah, great routine. Um, I like the fact that in this film, so you've got Amber Heard, who is... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Amber Heard's in this film. I don't know if I've seen Amber Heard in anything else. I don't think I've seen a film with her in. No. Not to my knowledge, anyway. Not Apart from this. Yeah. She plays... Um, oh, God, I can't remember her name in it, but she's like a young photographer who's kind of... A, they bump into along the way, mm-hmm. and um, her and Mike kind of... St- strike up a rapport um and he and she's having a hard time and she ends up he ends up bringing her to this convention and dances with her and it kind of makes her evening um i like the fact that it's not really a romance like it's not really a no you could just be friends i do there's like clear chemistry between them i mean i would just have sex with him but fine that's there's clear chemistry between them but it's not like there's no build up to like an actual like sexy no it's just they're not like, actually hooking up at and I, all and I do think that there are really interesting things to be said about the way that Mike Magic Mike XXL in particular looks at like women's pleasure and, and absolutely women's needs because you think about the fact that like with Richie's scene um, at the gas station yes. where he just just wants to make the girl smile yeah. like there's the no agenda is, like, there's nothing he to just, make her day right he just wants to make her day and like you've got you've got Rome's house where the whole point is just everything's for like women's benefit mm-hmm. there's no and it's women of all different shapes and yeah. sizes so there's yeah like a whole spectrum just every type of woman you could think of every color every shape and they're all given completely equal treatment um there's a line that donald glover says in the car on the way to the convention where he says these girls have to deal with men in their lives every day who don't even ask them what they want all you've got to do is ask and when they tell you it's a beautiful thing yeah exactly. which is like oh. i feel like sums up this film completely and is the reason that so many women love this film i think from an outside perspective it's really just like easy to sort of look at these as being like massively exploitative and 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 objectifying right? men but then i think I about i feel like it's not but then i it's think the it's opposite. not i think you just miss the point yeah that's why looking at the cover of the film is like oh this is literally just a film about men stripping yeah. like this is just a jolly and it is a jolly but because it is so dedicated to like women yeah it's a film that is just explicitly for the female gaze as well Absolutely. this is a film for women to watch and enjoy um I, I wanted to ask you what you thought um, about, uh, I was kind of, I was reading like a few articles and there was an article, I can't remember, it might have been like a Telegraph article or something. And this critic had called it the gayest, he said, I couldn't make up my mind if it was the gayest straight film ever or the straightest gay film ever, which I just felt, I felt as a straight person and with my own mediocre reading, I thought completely missed this, the the point. Um, and I asked Vaughn about this as mm-hmm. well and said, as someone within the LGBT community, like, mm-hmm. is this the gayest straight film ever? It feels like because it's a film that features naked men, yeah. um, that it's therefore gay. Because it's a film that features men talking about chasing their dreams, talking about their insecurities. They talk about like male grooming at one point mm-hmm. and what they feel like they should be doing with mm-hmm. male grooming. Um, 
And it talks about, you know, they have failed relationships, they're wearing their hearts on their sleeves sort of thing, whether that's therefore kind of like, it's assumed that it's therefore a gay film. Yeah. Um, And I don't think it is, I don't think it's a gay film at all. And I, I said to Vaughn, you know, do you, do you know many gay people who love this film? Mm-hmm. And she said, no, this is like women love like straight women love this film and th- that's okay yeah that's what it's for i think that that's i think it's a really interesting gay men are not interested in this film yeah. just because it's I got feel like it's a really interesting naked men in it almost like maybe perhaps a lazy it is that's exactly the word i used i said don't you think it's lazy to say that it's a gay film because it's got half naked men in it. I think it, that's the it's perhaps the idea that actually it's lazy, like, right? It's, la- it's 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 admitting that something has been made purely for a female audience mm-hmm. and that that's somehow bad. Mm-hmm. Like that, but because it's a female audience, it's gay as well. Yeah. which is the point that I'll try and find what Vaughn said, but she's made the point that basically, yeah, because it's, uh, because it's. A, f- a film that's kind of yeah designed with a female gaze in mind that it's therefore gay which is which like i think it, really that, that in itself is actually largely insulting isn't that really like problematic like the queer community absolutely. really by saying that like just because it's got naked men in it that like that it's for them that it's therefore got homoerotic homoerotic yeah. undertones and is therefore for their community which i just i mean again as a straight person that's hard for me to read into but i didn't like my initial feeling was like I don't think that seems like a really lazy reading. yeah it was it was really um it's just really weird it does film it feels like it's a film yeah it's a film designed for women to enjoy um it's about female pleasure which actually you'd think there's plenty of films out there because it has topless men or whatever that that are you know designed for women but actually I don't think there are many films out there like this. I think it's really interesting to look at how the film is is from a female gaze mm-hmm. because that so rarely happens. It's really rare, right? You think about how so many films are constructed from the point of view of the male gaze, mm-hmm. um, even when they're looking at men and women. Absolutely, and I think this, this this is interesting from that POV. Really, the fact that it's sort of like it's it's really playing up to the fact that they were like in the first one, they were like, yeah, women really liked this, mm-hmm. and that's a good thing. So why don't we just pitch it for? them women because that's not a bad thing because no. they you know they go to the cinema they enjoy seeing stuff exactly this, i think that i don't know maybe that just makes people uncomfortable actually having women talk mm. about what they like mm-hmm. and what they enjoy yeah because men do it all the time yeah, and no one exactly. says shit exactly and i feel like this film for a lot of men they think this film isn't for them because of its subject matter but then I think there's so much in it. Well, it's super fun. I, like, I, I mean, I, A, it's just fun, right? It's just, I put yeah. in bold, a movie for fun. It's <laughs> like, really fun. I mean, like, I made... So, before I'd seen XXL, I made Tom watch Magic Mike with me because I was like, oh, I need to... I want to watch XXL. Mm. Um, but it would be interesting for you to see Magic Mike mm. first and then we'll watch XXL together. So we watched it and, like, he really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, you know... He just thought it was really fun. It's like funny. the whole, the whole. I mean, I wrote like a big, well, like one of my you wrote first one of your tiny first tiny letters, letters was about it, right? was about Magic Mike XXL after I'd seen it, and it was talking about the fact that in contrast to the first film, it's a complete. It's about nostalgia. It's about mm-hmm. these these men who were just so desperate to recapture that thing that they had and that they felt they were good time. at. They felt they were good at that they'd always received, you know, positive praise mm-hmm. for, and it's just a complete nostalgia trip. And actually, how that the idea of nostalgia is is really 
consuming and, mm-hmm. and you just want to get at it for yeah. that because you obviously if it's something that gives you a rush it's something mm. you've experienced before in the past then why wouldn't you want to recapture mm. that's something that exists across the board in all pop culture mm-hmm. you know like I, I mean in, in that's the what thing, a lot of pop culture is in right? the thing I wrote I was talking about there's like a Mad Men quote that I always come mm. back to where it talks about how potent nostalgia is but then if you think about things like The Great Gatsby The Great Gatsby is mm-hmm. just all about someone trying to recapture the past yeah. that's the point and that that comes up narratively so mm. often across the board and I found it really interesting when I watched the XXL about the fact that like it is it's just men kind of going like hey we were really good at that let's go and do this thing let's one last do it time again. because right. people yeah. enjoyed it we were really good at it mm. And we, if we're good at it and we get enjoyment out of it, let's go and yeah. do it. And from the same, from that perspective as well, is like why shouldn't there be, mm. sh- shouldn't a film exist which mm. is made for women, which women enjoy, mm. which holds up to multiple viewings, yeah. which is actually like a decent film. Yeah, there's men a lot, yeah. have got many films, so many films, and I genuinely cannot think of many other films, really that that do what this film does and that's yeah. why I think it's important it also says a lot that I think a lot of the women in these two films both films are quite successful and the men are really struggling in a lot of ways mm-hmm. so in the first one they're all kind of well we don't we don't hear as much about the other guys in the club but Mike's certainly trying to reach his dreams and he gets to his dreams in the second film but it's actually not all it's cracked up to be and the other guys are still struggling but do you not think it's interesting as well the fact they're not really threatened by that no no like, with Rome with um Jada Pinkett Smith's character yeah. they're not threatened no not at by all by her as being successful no like, they're like cool she's like, like a complete like she's a businesswoman she's, she's a businesswoman she's a matriarch and she's yeah she's got all the power but none of them are intimidated by that no they don't um, they don't seek to undermine it they're like completely like bow down like yeah, yeah exactly you're the best in the game like we're gonna come to you to kind of you know on like, the we work. need your help yeah like yeah. And there's nothing shameful in that because they know they want the best, so they no. go to the best. Yeah. It just happens to be a woman. It's completely like... And their conversations are very open in terms of, like, Rich talking about how he feels, like, like kind of impotent at the moment and he feels like he's kind of losing his game and mm-hmm. he's not very good at... And when they ask, like... Don't they say, like... Oh, when they ask him whether he, like, had sex with anyone the next day, they're like, did you, you know... Mm-hmm. Um, I, but it's not like in a bro we kind of like, oh, did no. you get laid? It's like, did you? It's like, like, there's like you... a, there is a level of openness in, in this film, which I think... They're from, very honest with each other. They're very honest with it. And I, I think it's often quite rare that you see that level of honesty in a way that's like not mocked yeah. as a response yeah. as like as a did you bangy that's what they say did you bangy it's but not, not in a it's like not a punchline it's no. not like in the way that you would see in like a perhaps a, a bro-y teen comedy yeah. where it's like oh did you you know like, they're no... like high five you just bone that girl yeah. they're like oh did you because they know that he's been like really worried about it's from it. a place of genuine concern yeah. and I, what i found interesting about xxl as well is that you see the close-knit Mm-hmm. How how close knit their friendship is, how they are a little family, and they mm-hmm. and they worry about one another, and, and they, they miss do, each other. They, they openly other. tell each other that they've missed each other. Yeah, which again, you don't always. You just don't you get just, to see. It's so rare that you see that, especially on film. Yeah, completely. Um, and I think, I and also know. as well from that point of view, the, the closeness of those relationships isn't 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 flagged as being homoerotic no exactly it's just like they're friends yeah like they are they are friends they're really really close like um and i think that you know if you think about how objectified women are on screen i don't think i mean there are are elements in this where yeah okay all the dancing and stuff they're utilizing their bodies in a way that they Mm -hmm. know gets a reaction and is appealing but it's it is weirdly feminist. It is it in, is in a way. It's I because I think the, it is the women the women film. themselves are celebrated for their um, 
their sexual power yeah and how and their diversity they are. yeah yeah completely and, and I, I just it's the, the the nudity within the film as well is contextualized yeah. it doesn't feel reductive and I think there is a contrast to in the in the first film as well yes. like it's it's like a natural progression mm-hmm. where that's concerned yeah. is that like and there's a lot of I feel like there's a lot of dance rather than a lot of stripping. There's yeah. the actual amount of time that they spend shirtless and most importantly, like just in their pants, is so small. I think if you, I think I'd argue as well is when you get to the Myrtle Beach competition and, mm-hmm. and you see the way how choreographed yeah. it all is. It's like yeah, okay, they happen to be doing it naked or near naked and mm-hmm. on a on a way to being naked but it's like it's really elaborate yeah like, they've all well they've each choreographed their own like interests yeah. and passions rather than that's the whole point like stop doing the fireman routine you're not a fireman like uh, you're not interested no, you don't like you're scared of fire like they they they're they're sort of so aware of how mm-hmm. they are objects to yeah. these women but they're embracing it yeah. they you know they're celebrating it they're um they're knowing how appreciative mm. the women are mm-hmm. so it doesn't feel like how you may see if it was mm. a switch and they were women yeah. you know i th- i it's fucking it feels like super super lazy but i think of showgirls yeah yeah yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You, and you think yeah. of that comparison about how how the women in that are represented and also just how mm. w- women that particular line of work is often represented yeah. in film as being something that a woman has to do yeah. in order to make money because mm-hmm. she has no other options yeah. and it's like they don't need money in the second film. They're doing it because no. they want to do it. Where actually the first film, one of the things that I've just kind of was just thinking about when you were saying that about how there's almost like a, there's a mutual respect in the mm-hmm. second film, and like they are uh, they're worshiping women, and women are kind of worshiping them. The first film, I think, one of the things I do have a problem with, like the Brooke Mike situation is he's Mm -hmm. also seeing that well he's kind of calling on that other girl joanna that he's been kind of sleeping with Mm -hmm. and she's like successful businesswoman Mm -hmm. and she completely kind of belittles him yeah and he's really trying and she's just like you're a thick stripper like you're a big dumb stripper like that's what you're here for and there just isn't that mutual respect at all and the guys are really kind of looked down upon and what they do and then in the second film i feel like that's not no, it doesn't really exist. It is it's super super interesting. I do think that when you were talking about the sort of the the gayness or straightness yeah. of the film, I do think I just thought it was really interesting that I was like that is really not interesting. Come and to I me. think maybe it just comes to the fact that there are four men who are talking about their sexuality and their bodies and how they yeah. look and and I mean because one one big thing I took from my first viewing is Vex XL was there were like absolutely no homo no, homoerotic, no, no homophobic not. remarks no. between them when no. they're talking about like their bodies and mm-hmm. the way they there's nothing mm-hmm. like that and I think it would be so easy to make a film like that with like you know nudge nudge wink wink gay yeah, joke exactly but there's just doesn't like, exist slapping each really, other's ass in a yeah yeah there's no there's nothing like that and I just think it's it's it, it, I remember at the time just thinking like fuck this was super refreshing yeah and it I asked Von as well I said do do you think it's missing I know that there is no kind of um there's no kind of uh yeah it is a female it is a, f- a film with a female gaze i said do you think it's missing like a gay character mm-hmm. does it need a gay character mm-hmm. and she was like well firstly amber heard is actually bi in that mm-hmm. film but you blink and you miss it because it's it's like a thing but it's not a thing yeah, like, yeah. that that is part of who she is in it but it's not like a big deal it's not really a plot, um, no it? but it's you know it's in there so she was like well technically there is someone in there you know who's just part of the, the tapestry of the rest of it like yeah. yeah one of the characters but she was like you don't really need it like mm-hmm. it's not 
that's not what this film is designed for and that's not necessarily a bad thing either you yeah. don't have to shoehorn stuff in all the no, time no and that's the thing which seems it? like a silly question for me to ask but I genuinely wanted no, to know I think like it, does she think it's missing something from I think it's interesting I mean I, th- I always think it's interesting when you when you look at things from a from a uh, incredibly you know like a cis perspective mm. I think it's really interesting to go to think about like oh you know this seems to cover all bases mm-hmm. but that's that's because it's from like my perspective mm-hmm. as yeah. a straight woman and I do think it is interesting to interrogate things from mm. a, from a from a different viewpoint yeah. but um yeah I just I I remember thinking after I saw XXL like this is such a development from Magic Mike yeah and I I know personally if if and when I go back to the films as yeah. a duo I would 10 times opt for XXL yes. than I would Yeah, I think Magic, Magic Mike, Mike is a good film I it's enjoy really... Magic Mike but I genuinely think XXL is like a great film from an enjoyment factor it's, it's just so like much sky fun. high and, and I it's really uplifting it's so uplifting it's just so positive and I think that you know that's just that does come down to mm-hmm. the fact that to do with the friendships, to do with the representation of women mm. in it, to do with the and, and the diversity of it. The diversity is great. There is. I yeah. just think, yeah, it's amazing. It's just a lot of fun, and I I feel like, I again, funnily enough, I feel like women get it. So yeah, you can tweet about this or do whatever, and like everyone gets it. They're like, oh yeah, love that film. But like, if I say to a guy like oh, I watch Magic Mike at the weekend, they kind of roll their eyes. Like, God, it's, here um, we go. Did you watch some men stripping? Did you like? I do think that it's so prone to stereotyping from an outside perspective. If you if you haven't seen it, if you don't actually look at it from a, mm-hmm. from a point it's of like, view, like, oh, this is a big dumb rom com about yeah. Channing Tatum with his shirt off. That's like, I mean, that's know. fine if and you think. Yeah, that. that's brilliant. I'm not. I'm definitely I'm not criticizing that. Channing Tatum with his shirt off. Come on now, but. I think there is so much more to it and I would hope that more... I would like more men to watch it. I think they would be pleasantly surprised. I'd also be interested to see from, like, other guys who have seen it what they think of it. I think... Because I don't think I've watched it with a guy. The second one. Yeah. I think it's... um, I think it's interesting from a point of view. I think perhaps men feel threatened by it but there's nothing to be threatened by. Imagine being threatened by it. Imagine how much we'd need to be threatened by if we had to... (laughs) If we were yeah. reacting in the same way to a film that some people do. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, so that's that's the case, really. The case is... Is there anything else you want to add? Is that it? That is the case. The case is that Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL get like a double thumbs up. Women love this film. It's their films for women and more guys should watch them. Um so after that, this lends itself nicely into um, Obsession of the Week. You realised that um, we didn't talk about how we'd seen Call Me By Your Name recently again. <laughs> and that six-month that, update. That six-month update. That would be my... Obs- I mean, obviously, Magic Mike's had a bit of a... Give me a bit of segue as well, but um, re-watching Call Me By my, Your Name has um, become my obsession. It's, I've What a Monday night treat that was. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's throwing me back into a hole, though. I completely forgot that when we watched Call Me By Your Name together the first time with Vaughn, I it took me about four days to recover. Do you not vividly remember how we all went for breakfast afterwards yeah, and where we just sat in silence for like an hour? It was like, awful and I felt sick the next day. And then we saw Harry Styles and that made it even worse. <sighs> and the sense of loss after watching that film <laughs> and then seeing Harry Styles and going home afterwards was almost too much to bear. 
And when just, we I, watched this again on Monday, I realised a huge amount of it was that film. <laughs> I, I hadn't... I think I'd just forgotten because we'd seen it and then we got so caught up in it and then we were just in this consistent cycle of Army and Timmy. All we talked about. For, like, jumping around town for six months. I obsessed with things. Can I just say, my favourite thing is being obsessed with something, like, in a moment... And then just talking about it with you and whoever it's, over and over and over and again, and setting my fucking phone wallpaper. And we took we took Tom to see the Call Me by Your Name on Monday as well because when we went, obviously it was just us two and Vaughn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tom had wanted to see it but didn't get a chance to go. And then it came out on DVD, and, and we had planned to watch yeah. it at home together, eat some peach cobbler. Oh my god. Immerse yeah. ourselves. And then because of the Oscars and everything, um It came back. It came back into the cinema and we were like, fuck, we have to go and do this again. And it was honestly like having I'd spent the entire day feeling sick with the yeah. nerves that like I was and because we'd only seen it once. Yeah. And I, was I yeah I haven't so, watched it on DVD. Again I was since. so worried that like we were gonna go and I'd be like do you know what? This actually isn't as good as I remember. But fucking hell, man. I think it's better than I remember. I've almost forgotten. I, I said to you, there were so many things about it that I think I completely overlooked yeah, the first I time. Yeah, I did. I think because I was it. so overwhelmed the I first just, time. I just remember being a mess the first time because I just, every time C. Van Stevens happened, I just, I just, it was, I felt like I was just so emotive the first time and the second time when we saw it on Monday I actually felt like so I many could appreciate details, it right? and I was yeah. looking out for different things I'd read about mm-hmm. and, and it's interesting as well when you know the way the narrative is going mm-hmm. when you know what's going to happen at the end yeah. there are things that you pick up yeah. on and also having seeing it again after reading the book mm-hmm. when you get that Absolutely. differing perspective I was like oh okay this is interesting to think about it and, and the dynamics between them and the way they, <gasps> yeah, man. they run hot and cold it was a lot so that, is that your obsession of the my week? my obsession of the week is, is is that film and is Timothy Chalamet in particular? This also segues nicely in, baby Timmy? into um, what's your current phone background, which is going to um, be our new is thing. Is this our new thing? Okay, yeah, so this because is our new thing. The, the only reason this is a thing is because to show Tom always takes the piss out of me because I consistently change my lock screen on my phone. Yeah, that's all the fine. It's like a weekly thing. Because I get bored of looking mm-hmm. at my phone so often. Yeah. And um, he was like, oh, God, have you changed it again? And Tom always keeps his the same forever. No. Um, but I changed my. I do remember on... when Wesley realised that um, my phone lock background wasn't him, and well, he was like, "You just keep rotating boys on your." Yeah, so do I. Oh, and that's no. the thing. Tom, my, Tom's is always like probably a picture of me of something that we've mm-hmm. done together, like a nice artful photograph he's taken, and mine's like never yeah. anything. And to you know do what? Our boyfriends and husbands are not intimidated by it. No, Tom's like, so oh, that's fine. stop asking me whether so my I'm boyfriend. So I'm enjoying that your obsession <laughs> of the week is. Um... Uh, yeah, my phone background is Timothy Chalamet. That's a nice picture. Um, What's he's that looking. From? I can't remember. You know. He's got a nice fluffy jumper on. Yep. His hair is cropped short. Yep. His jaw bones are looking particularly striking. Chiseled. I like the lighting just, here. The lighting is beautiful. We're going to um, we'll tweet we post these. Them? Yeah, yeah. yeah we screenshot post it and, and we'll tweet um, it. What's yours? Well, mine's twofold. So, um, my obsession of the week is. So, Tom and I. Okay, actually, let's go back even further. I had a dream a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> oh my God, I've just remembered what this is going to be. Go so, on. I had a dream a couple of a weeks dream. ago where I was dating Andy Sandberg. Yeah. And you, in my dream, was so angry about this. Like Peak Stephanie, you know that. You were so angry. Was I jealous? I don't know. You were I just mad at me. Jealous. You were mad at me for some reason because I was... And Andy Sandberg and I had to hang out in secret because you just would not tolerate this. That is peak jealousy. That's and I think is. this came from... Because Tom and I have been binging Brooklyn Nine-Nine pretty solidly. And I was like, "There's no. This, this is obviously a reason why I have dreamt that Andy Sandberg is yeah, my boyfriend. Like, um, so then this just set in motion this just like very deep deep Andy Sandberg moment 
um, where I've basically just been listening to Lonely Island solidly. <laughs> I didn't mention any of this. And what just also because oh I've been re watching a lot of SNL and I hadn't yeah, been fair. sleeping particularly well. And I found a thing that was sort of like calming me before I had to attempt to go to bed was watching old SNL Excellent. digital shorts. Yeah. So I was basically just like watching a lot of Lonely Island dig- SNL digital short sketches, including Laser Cats. Great yes. one. Oh, my God. That was my... I'm going to go to bed now. I need to watch Laser Cats. I'm going, um, I'm going up to have my SNL. So, moment. yeah, just deeply, deeply Sandberg-oriented at the moment. So mm-hmm. my current phone background oh, is Andy look. Sandberg in pink pyjamas. With some kittens. Which I don't think are real. Oh, my God. Are they fake? Let me see. I think they're stuffed. They don't look real I think me. they're stuffed kittens. Yeah, They've got, like, bad kins. taxidermy face going on. Yeah, he's on the phone... I don't know why this has happened. We'll have to post these stuff. He, he looks exceptional. So that's my obsession of the week is Sandberg. Um, it's also because I keep trying to bully Tom into watching Popstar with me. Which have you watched? Popstar? No, I haven't. We should do should that. we watch it? That should, you probably like it. Yeah. Maybe that should be a thing Sounds for like the next time. That I would... so yeah, Sandberg and Chalamet. Cool. <sighs> Imagine if they hung out. What would the context be? Sorry, what? I was just thinking about it. And, uh... Just they've genuinely had a paused, like, contemplative Ooh. look. Just thinking about Timmy. <sighs> They're just wonderful, aren't they? What joy. Thanks, guys. <sighs> um, so that's us. You can find us online, Twitter. We're at the thirst, soundcloud.com forward slash the thirst pod. You can subscribe and review us on iTunes by searching the thirst. Instagram, we're at the thirst pod. Our Tumblr is the thirstpod.tumblr.com. And you can email us questions, queries, news, reviews, just your life updates, perhaps. Um, the oh, thirst- please do. Yeah, send us some news. The thirst pod at gmail.com. Uh, bye. Bye. Hey there, my name is Renee Powers, and I host the Wild Cozy Truth Podcast, a space for women to own our stories, find strength in vulnerability, and stand naked in truth. Each episode, I share a personal essay and then interview an ordinary woman about her extraordinary stories, from faith and politics to the messiness of motherhood and more. Become a Wild Woman Truth Teller by subscribing to Wild Cozy Truth on iTunes or Google Play, or learn more at wildcozytruth.com. Wild Cozy Truth.